जनता दिया ही दिए को जला सकता है वही
folks welcome it's got to be a uh what did i call it the other day basic bitch uh basic bitch streaming and we're gonna be doing a group stream uh let me call on commander rixie then i've got to figure out how to get uh this now i'm watching yes Commander Rixie, sir, how are you? Can you hear me? All right. Uh, why is that not working? Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Suddenly the ring tone was very loud, but you're not very loud. Uh, let me try and fix the audio settings here, folks. Just give me sound check, bro. 
douchebag. Yes, nice. That, that, that worked, I think. One more time. Hello, Kitty. Uh, let me pump it up a little bit. All right, now I've got to figure out how to get Christy into this. And then... Uh, yeah, it's weird because it didn't ring on my phone. It rang on the computer, which is what I didn't want to use. Uh, but as long as you can hear me just fine, the uh, echo. I think we'll get there's no echo and um, you know people are just gonna have to make do with the you don't see me though right uh, I, I don't see you but I'm watching the stream so. okay uh, okay so I'm trying to <clears throat> I want to add 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 participants <laughs> and let's search for all right hopefully that will pull christy in and um oh i think we lost you still there charles i don't know if we lost the audio hi christy how are you oh waking up how are you <laughs> funnily Screams enough it's like Yes, narrow, and um, people are just going to have to um, make, do. make do with the fact we're on sort of very basic setup. So it's amazing we can do what we can do right now, and um, with the lick spittles, be grateful, that's what I would say. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to bitch. Uh, right. <laughs> The uh, so the point for this stream was as a follow on from the one I, the last stream I did where I was looking at Jonathan Cooey's Gigaround Biological where he's starting to go down the route which I think is a very um, confused route where he's trying to understand the nuances of amyloidogenic peptide sequences. And in the part that we were watching, um, he makes, and I've heard him make this statement a bunch of times, that the peptide doesn't matter that's being expressed. Just okay. gene, that just gene transfection in and of itself is the, is the problem methodology. And I, I think that's um, a very uh, short-sighted view of the biology. Um, you, Christy, have um, some objections to raise yourself, and the reason for doing this is that you know, in the hope that um, Charles, uh, not Charles, <laughs> Jonathan is still, I, I think, somewhat trying to do the right thing scientifically. Maybe other things, not not so much, but scientifically, maybe. And so often in science, you, the, the critique of your peers is the thing that can um, help help you find your way through complex data sets. And Charles, you, you just wanted to comment on um, epitopes, right? And um, these epitopes being, uh, well, essentially open to weaponization. So um, Christy, maybe you, you would like to start and tell us about transfection 
All right. Are we live? We are live. Yeah. Morning. Uh, let's see. It says people are having trouble hearing me. Yeah, I, I see uh, an error on my screen that says EOS webcam utility, and then there's a red X over your screen. Uh, yeah, that might be because the camera. Is... So whilst you're talking about transfection, I'll just um, mess around with my video settings and hope that um, this doesn't mess things up so now you should probably see me but I don't know if that broke OBS no, OBS is fine and let me just go down to what's going on Charles I can't are you muted yeah I don't hear Charles either Whilst Charles is fixing everything, um, maybe, maybe I'll talk. Yeah, and tell us about. I don't know if we were going to comment on the video and stop it because I was. I uh, watched I'm, you I, commenting on his video, and then I kept pausing, saying, "No, no, that's not true. That's not true." Because mm. my my whole work has been in proteins and recombinant proteins and transfection and expression of proteins in the lab, using mm. mostly Heck and Cho, but then. Antibodies are proteins, but not all proteins are antibodies, but mm. those are made in a lab and they are like in the old and in the ye old days, right? They, I think even in our microbiology lab, we used uh, electroporation where you electrically shocked the cells, but then that damages them to get the, mm. the genetic material in. But I did a, I, I didn't know if this was okay to do as well. Like I did a, like a two and a half, three hour interview with a podcast out of the UK named Sunny. And I that was the first time I explained like everything start to finish and how you make a protein recombinantly. And I used, that was the first time I think I brought on the pipe cleaners. Oh, the pipe cleaners. But I used yeah. uh, like fake columns. So I had like, you know, paper rolls to like represent the columns and I was pouring stuff through and like this. Yeah, so when JJ talked about all proteins, did he say that all of them are amylogenic? <laughs> Uh, so here's here's what I understood from what he was saying that you, the fact that there are amyloidogenic peptide sequences in SARS makes it um, doesn't make it particularly unique among viruses. And this is well, th th there are some viruses which are more dangerous for the central nervous system, and because of their amyloidogenic profile, than other viruses. And, you know, the really extreme end would, um, can we see Laura in a full profile, please? Are you not on the screen? Oh, I'm probably on the screen. Hang on one second. You've got my ugly mug on top of your ugly mug, uh, not ugly mug, my ugly mug over your mug. <laughs> Excuse me. Can we rate you now? <laughs> yeah, you can rate me. <laughs> Scumbag. <laughs> I think. Charles is still muted. He is. Uh, I don't know. He, he, it was working a second ago. So, um, <clears throat> oh, now I hear something. Now you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, good. Yeah. All I said was I'd do him. So. so it, I'd do him. <clears throat> I'd do him. 
Me? Hey, steady. Rule one, sir. Um, the... I forgot what we're talking about now. The... Yes. So, amyloidogenic peptides and sequences. And like I say, but prior to SARS, the assumption in my field was herpes was the the big focus right because that was a virus that we knew knew sat in the nervous system um and we had to try to figure out the meaning of idiopathic meaning we don't know the reason why you, why someone would go into a dementia like state parkinsonian like state and there was well i think there are many pathways into that but one of those leading hypotheses is that virus exposure and exposure to um, these amyloidogenic peptides in the in the central nervous system leads to the onset of these disorders i i would extend that view to say that long long haul or, or post-acute sequelae of covid as they're now calling it right now mm. That that is the fingerprint of people being shunted into that that phase in their nervous system, and over a lifetime, people just say, "Oh, that's you getting old, right?" And you just ache more, you don't think well, yada yada. When it happens to someone in their twenties, thirties, forties, you're starting the the decline, if you mean. Um, then then it becomes apparent that there's there's a problem there and we have to understand why that is and i think the reason why me cfs has been such a horny issue with respect to doctors because people complain of like muscle ache and you know these sort of and they'll point to oh that muscle is hurting and they'll examine the muscle and the muscle tissue and everything looks normal but the insult is at the central nervous system level and this is why it's been such a difficult condition to um, formalize medically. And the, so the assumption that I think Jonathan is trying to make is, is that amyloidogenic peptides are everywhere, which is kind of true. There are amyloidogenic <clears throat> peptides in peptides of um, well we looked at the tets and tets paper which looked at prion like domains in uh, eukaryotic um, bacteria and uh, sorry but yeah eukaryotes i think paper was but the the point being is they're there that the in my mind the key question is how are they getting into the central nervous system how is the central nervous system dealing with them and then why are some people more susceptible than others? So I think that kind of encapsulates what he was trying to, or where he was going to go. And with the pretext as well that transfect, transfecting any protein would lead to the same. Wow. You know, we have the Pfizer release that came, came out yesterday or today, depending on where you are. Have you seen that? Oh, so yeah, this is their um, internal documents for adverse events. And I think somebody posted it like one six one point six million. Is that correct, or something along those lines? I, I think it's even more than that. And is that off of ICANN's network? Uh, do you know what I saw? 
so Ozzy, can't remember what it's but like he's ex farmer Ozzy ex farmer I think he's called something like that. He posted the number, so I'm going to say it's more like five million. And um, you know who did a good? I don't want to bring up my emails, my screen, but Jessica Rose did a um, breakdown of um, spontaneous adverse events via system organ systems and funnily enough if you get past just general disorders and administration site conditions the biggest is nervous system disorders yes 696,508 adverse events reported now to me that's an indicator that you you're causing you know what it, it would depend what those neurological conditions are, but it's an indicator that we're dealing with something that is targeting, whether by accident or malfeasance, but has a predilection for the central nervous system and can cause um, disease processes to emerge. Now, well, um, I just want to interrupt you because because. I think that he's right in the sense that <clears throat> transfecting anything will cause a lot of harm, but that doesn't mean that transfecting anything will cause neurodegenerative harm. Mm. And that's really where <clears throat> he, he's trying to explain everything away with, with just the transfection, which, granted, we can't prove or disprove that because... Right now, we've only transfected against one thing, at least on a major level. So I think you'd have to go back and look at any transfections. Like well, that's why we have Christy here. I wanted to talk here. about that. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem is that those those sample sizes are so small. Right. And anything in the past, it, it is hard to do that. But there's but, other factors, though, too, that yeah. I think are different <clears throat> with the manufacturing process. Well, so, so then... Because I'm not really the expert in this, the only other thing I wanted to say is is that when I went through the Tets and Tets papers looking at eukaryotic viruses and kind of like the names within those, what, what I noticed, what I was able to discern is that <coughs> is that coronavirus as a whole generally have one, <coughs> excuse me, generally have one or two across their entire genome. And when they do, they don't generally have them in the spike protein. But SARS-CoV-2 has six prion-like domains just in the spike protein, including very specifically within the ACE2, or within the receptor binding domain. And it's the five key mutations in the RBD that specifically form one of those prion-like domains. So no other coronavirus has more than two. SARS-CoV-2 has six just in its spike protein. Yeah, I, I wonder if there's... <clears throat> I need to go back and look at this. So Sorry to interrupt, I know you wanted to... No, no, that's all I wanted to I know say. I, Christy wants that, to talk about that. Because that's... So that, that, to me... And this is also comparing it to the original SARS. So that to me says that right off the bat that this stuff isn't natural. And so 
but then as for as far as everything else <clears throat> establishing that it's not natural everything else i know that she can speak a lot better to the actual transfection and, and all the other things so gone and because because i'm, I'm going to just yeah. look for the tets and tets paper right now i even posted one just in chemistry views that mentions that misfolding so it's being talked about in other spaces that aren't where somebody else would say was a bias from a researcher but i just posted under the link you have on twitter oh, a different okay. article that was in chemistry news that talked about the okay. the misfold and where it is and then they <coughs> quote the paper for the right underneath that yeah yeah I was gonna bring that up. so okay so when i've designed projects for proteins or antibodies or proteins you know we get we get the the gene sequence and then you link it into a circular plasmid i don't know if we need to go over that and then the, the circular like that's how insulin's made that everybody takes like hmm. there's a plasmid and it kicks out the rna and then the rna makes the it doesn't kick out but it, you know it, it, translation and transcription so uh, you know, it makes the single strand rna and then the hmm. rna makes the protein right away and they do that in E. coli because E. coli doesn't need the same machinery as a eukaryotic cell like the humans. It, it just like, hey, it just, kicks, it just kicks it out. It just makes the protein right away. It doesn't go through the, the same processes. But when we, oh, sorry, go ahead. I just say those E. coli, they're just not fussy, are they? They'll, they'll, they'll do anyone and anything. <laughs> sorry. They're whores. I couldn't help it. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to talk in ways I normally don't. I think I didn't sleep it much, and I'm really slap happy because the, the wildfires from Canada, we got told not to complain here in the U.S., but we have really hazy skies, and this is typically a really clear city, and it's really smoggy, and people are mm. coping. Um, but uh, so when so when we take RNA, you know, and we want to make a protein in a cell, like an antibody, all the monoclonal antibodies were used you're made via, you know, the piece of RNA that encodes for the protein. And you usually use him like, like you know, kind of like human embryonic kidney cells or Chinese hamster ovary are the two big ones. And you, use, you usually do two cell lines and you start with a liter and you would put it in the lipid nanoparticle, just the same as what went into people's bodies. Mm. And and then the, the cells would start making the protein within the cell. And sometimes they would misfold. And in the lab, you use a buffer and a detergent to refold them. But they didn't happen all the time, like you said. But then, you know, you know, I've read papers that said, I don't have the, the papers offhand to quote, that different, the same cells, like different, if you had cells in a tissue like lung tissue, and you had cells side by side in a lung tissue, like they're finding that those cells could express proteins differently, even though they were the same cells in the same tissue. Mm -hmm. So we always had a saying in the lab that was biology is going to do what biology is going to do, but not all of them misfolded. It was actually a small percentage that misfolded. But like Charles said, when, you know, the projects that I've worked on for genetic disease and cancer, those are really small cohorts. But then the scientists are, am I allowed to say this? Higher, usually higher level, uh, Things were done, like uh, Catalent doesn't have even people with bachelor's degrees, and I know that because they work there, and that does matter. Like, they don't have even a bi you know biology degree working in those spaces where, in the spaces that I've worked in, there's been 
tighter controls where they didn't have the same controls, I think, with uh, like with these processes. Mm. And I don't know if that would affect the, the I don't think that would affect the misfolding, but not all proteins misfold. Mm. Well, you know. I, I, so I for get... him to say like they're all going to do it isn't true, but then you have different cell lines that, that might behave differently. Right. And I would assume that applies for the tissue that the RNA sequence lands in from gene transfection as well, right? So the presumption being that some gets out of the muscle and some lands in other critical tissue. So like Charles said, and you, you said Kev too, like, so I've worked on projects. I'm not allowed to say which ones due mm. to NDA, but there's one for kids that's in stage three clinical trial that mm. uh, the first company I worked for that that, that was our project. We got sent videos in stage two clinical trial. I'll tell you guys off camera if you want what it is. Mm. But uh, uh, these kids are alive and they are eating food now for the first time in their lives. And now it's in stage three clinical trial and the adverse event rate was really, really low on that. Mm. But it was a small cohort, but none of them have died. None of them mm. are having, they're not having issues. They are going to live long lives where before they weren't. Yeah, and you know, this is a point I've I've tried to make constantly. Is is I don't want to be I don't want to be a luddite against technology. I think the the point that I'm more fixated on is where you would. In, so my, the presumption I have with the cancer treatments, I'm not. I, I don't know how much you can divulge, but I'm presuming that's within. It's more within the scope of the organism's biology than the expression products that you're going to make whereas taking something that is essentially hostile biology like a virus and then having that be transfected and you know it's not just a case of shoving a needle in and exposing the arm once it's inside the cell those peptide problem peptides let's let's call them that for the moment are going to start interacting with peptides within the cell itself, within the cytoplasm, and very likely within the nucleus as well. Right? Because we just, it's, it's the nature of how these cascades, these amyloidogenic cascades, prion-like cascades, start impacting onto the cell's physiology. And I'm, yeah, I would, be, I would be very, very leery of, equivocating one with the other but one might be one probably is a useful medical intervention yeah gene transfection of well viruses that we i think all agree has a synthetic basis and we don't know well what their experimental goals were with that expert with that synthetic chimera um what what they were intending to happen to their their experiment and you know, this I'll come riding in on my hobby horse again and just say if if the bio warfare treaties allowed for incapacitation and within incapacitation they say well Parkinson's is a it's it's not lethal straight away. And the prodromal phase, where you're achy and you don't think correctly, and wow, well, you know that takes ten, fifteen years to start 
transforming you into the the Parkinsonian patient that goes to the clinic, but you're still incapacitated. I think we're in some domain like that, and this is this is why it's important to understand on like processes, the dangers from transfection itself as a as a public health measure, right? I, I for me personally, because so many viruses do have problematic epitopes, gene transfecting them seems a crazy intervention to be making until we can demonstrate that it's not causing these prion-like cascades in our food chain, for example. Australia um, just said, sorry to interrupt, Kev, but uh, people have been sending me, and I already saw that Australia mandated that their other cattle are about to get hit with RNA now. Yeah, and same in... Um, I want to eat that, right? Like, is that Kreutzfeldt Jacob? Is that the same as Matt? Like, if we ate food that had misfolded proteins in it? That's That was the concern at, at the time in, from, the, from the UK, that there was a new variant, Kreutzfeldt Jakob disease, associated with mad cows, right? Those where we put the, we rendered the carcasses and took nervous tissue fed it back into the cows, and then the cows developed the, the characteristic symptoms. Yeah, I think Charles has got a loose connection, bro, or something is. And the, you know, in my career, it was, it was always, you err on the side of safety, so that, well, so cows that get slaughtered have to be below a minimum age before they enter the food chain, no spinal cord, no brain tissue, et cetera, et cetera. And it, the, list, the list goes on and on. And um, no one's, where are the safety studies on this technique to show that it doesn't, um, it doesn't cause these cascades? And they're not there. They're just, it, my viewing maybe in the veterinary literature there's there's a whole bunch more but i i haven't come across them where they've i, I came across stuff kevin that i i'm gonna have to send you and then when i asked if you would either co-author or if i would write and then you could add to it yeah uh so i just found that a study that said lipids in mice mm. is not an indicator even with all the bad stuff that they saw mm. as lipids in pigs that uh, even though I know they think they did test some monkeys, but the the pig that they never did proper studies on, I think there was like the one with the, was it the McKay or the Rasus? I'm trying to remember for the lipid toxicity, but like you said, the proper studies weren't done. No, no. I'm, I mean, literally all that's been done with, with SARS is just, is it immunogenic? Do they get antibodies? And they've, they've stopped at that, right? They, they haven't done the long-term studies. And the what I would consider like a like an equivalent of like an LD fifty test with with the technology, and that's disturbing from a testing point of view, from a basic science point of view. And I, I think a lot of the assumption is it's just that ah, it's just fat and protein, right? You deal with that all the time, and that's a really naive position to be taking, uh, especially now when we can see how rotten 
the institutes are and the the regulatory agencies as well. So, um, yeah. Okay, I'm talking back to the neurological stuff and VAERS, two mm -hmm. people reached out to me that I won't name that have friends who work in insurance or one I think does. And I asked if they would run reports going back to 2018 mm -hmm. and I gave them the ICD-9 and the ICD-10 code. Mm -hmm. And that's just making the assumption that people are getting diagnosed with um, what's the general disorder? I got told not to say it's a BS disorder, but like functional neurological disorder. Yeah, so, so functional. But ask them to to see like how how much has that gone up since 2018 or 2019, and did because they changed the the ICD-10 code for that in October of 2022, I think when I looked. Yeah, I so we've got some people looking. So I think Edward Dowd. That's a project for him. Yes. And it's a it's a cop out functional neurological disorder. Because, they don't know. Yeah, it's just we can't see something on an MRI. Well, okay, you don't know you don't know how the network is behaving that would cause these symptoms to emerge. And you know, for someone to someone to fake, um, you know, reflexive type movement disorders, for example. Like, like tremor, um, th these types of things, a muscle weakness. The, that that's difficult to. You might fake that in a five-minute doctor's in, in, uh, interaction, but over the course of the time, an experienced neurologist would tell whether you were fitting the description of tremor, um, weakness, etc. They would they would be able to extract that out, and you can. You can quickly move people who would be trying to fake versus someone who does have a legit neurological problem. Now, because we don't know the reason that it started, um, doesn't mean that there isn't an issue. A lot of the time, we don't know how Tourette's starts, but we can see that there's a, a problem. And a child, a child most assuredly doesn't have the wherewithal to be able to maintain that symptom profile, complex symptom profile that you see with threat. So yeah, functional neurological disorders is, is a cop-out that shouldn't be um, relied upon. And we're only, we're only just beginning to understand the network interactions across the brain and the body that would, that would explain them. So, um, you know, <laughs> Ex expose someone to amyloidogenic peptides that are able to get into the central nervous system and your like your chances of causing functional neurological disorders i would say would increase dramatically so kevin i found two studies and i posted about it just briefly but boxes aren't enough room and that's what i wanted to, to write the substack about and i found a few others on plasmids in the brain oh did we lose charles i think we did uh, you're better looking so <laughs> I, I've, I've been i don't know at... if that was so i was just joking on twitter when i was like <laughs> <laughs> well when we were when we were rating chicks it was between i don't know some rent a bitch at the world health organization charles knows her name and um 
Sam Bailey, and we were just <laughs> dudes uh, alone in the mountains in cabins. I get it. Right, I get it. Know. I was just giving you shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it was. So I don't know if Charles can jump on automatically. You know, you know what I think it might have been. I bet you is he might have been using his phone, and the phone went flat. Oh. Well, if he if he comes on, he's he's been very quiet anyway. So, um, he just has to come down the stairs and tell me there's a problem. So, yeah, it's almost midnight there, right? But both. So I found two two studies, and one was um one was a study, and that's something that I wanted to go over with you. And they they were using plasma DNA in the brains of rats, but it wasn't to check interaction or anything with the plasma itself i forgot why they were using it Mm. if it was to elucidate something else going on in the brain but it wasn't to see the behavior of plasmids on the the rat brains but what they found was the introduction of the plasma dna and they discounted all of the other variables they did whatever tests they had to do to make sure it was from the plasma dna that it caused the microglia to move Mm-hmm. So I, I think I, I posted that somewhere under your other tweets, but it, so but they it, moved position and like they physically moved so and, and they pushed up against the I'm trying to think of the the brain areas. So my, yeah, microglia will go through a process of transformation when they become activated and they'll they're not mobile through the brain like uh, the T cells through the circulatory system right but they're they're integrated enough that an assault in one area the chemical signaling will be enough to trigger microglia in other areas and they um they go from the benign state to an activated state and eventually you know target um problematic cell types and that could be from anything neurons to oligodendrocytes etc etc or other microglia there it is. We unexpectedly faced a technical problem. Although microglia are normally distributed homogeneously throughout the mid-embryonic cortical wall with only limited luminal entry, the intraventricular presence of exogenously derived plasma DNAs induced microglia to accumulate along the apical surface of the cortex and aggregate in the choroid plexus. Mm. And then they talk about interleukin 9, or total mm. like receptor 9, when when that was activated, that actually forced the microglia go, to go back into the position where they were supposed to be in. And I was just curious what that what would that do to the human brain? And then I found another study where they had plasmids and brains of mice, and it caused scarring of the microglia. Mm, yeah. Um. Again, this is all very much cutting edge, I would say, with respect to what is well. First off, what animals are they testing them in? Primarily rodents, right? And got a step from a rodent to a monkey, then to a human. And if you're seeing microglial activation in rodents, that's not a good sign. Um, there's so interestingly, there's the study that's come out in the last few days where they've given that they've shown that neuronal cells will fuse together when exposed to the spike protein plasmid 
And as part of the control in that experiment, they used the two proline locked plasmid and I think some six proline locked plasmid. And they claim that the fusion process doesn't occur with the proline locked um, plasmid after it gets transfected. I'm a little dubious of skeptical of that result, but um, it's it's a data point we have to we can't ignore right now, and maybe just maybe the the two proline locked it for in case of fusogenicity may be safer than that the instructional set for the for just the raw spike protein right so if you took um so i was looking at a study where they were looking at prion seeding and they were using they were expressing spike protein but it was original og wuhan style uh, plasmids being forced into um, neuronal cells oh i see charles jumping back on can you hear me uh we can hear you sir um oh, let me battery. let me battery huh was it battery what happened no it was um oh, i don't know actually and i tried to use my phone and my i don't know it was being dumb so but as long as this works i'm okay with it okay yeah we can we can hear you now okay so you know again there are a lot of unknowns here and you know i'm you know fool, fools rush in is the it's the saying right where angels fear to tread and we've had a lot of fools rush in at the moment with these peptides and these um expression techniques and i don't i don't think i don't think well i i would have never imagined that we would have seen the mass rollout like we like we have of what i considered very bespoke engineering techniques like you were saying for your um the what was it cancer you said right you didn't mention which oh and then some genetic disease too yeah when you when we go off the line i'll, I'll tell you which ones okay. i'll point you right to the clinical trial yeah they're, they're getting better um there's another thing too that i was talking on just one podcast that i did where i went over the milestones between the dates of it was january 1st of 2020 to may did they announced it in march they were rolling the jabs and then in may they started human trials i was talking on a podcast where i was showing all the props of what it takes for the processes when you got the gene sequence and then we usually sent it off to i'm just going to name companies GeneWiz or dna 2.0 in china where you, you send the gene sequences and then they you know they flank that into the plasmid and then grow it up and then they send you the the genetic material back mm. and then you you transfect with that i mean that's a couple of weeks to do that and then when you when they were saying that they were doing what they were doing in the lab to transfect the protein and the cells in the lab in order to get you know the information from that that's 10 to 12 weeks right there you can't speed up those processes because you've got to grow them in the cells and then you've got to purify them and you've got mm. to put them through columns and size exclusion chromatography and hplc and ion exchange and you got to separate it out from everything else in the cell 
And then you've got to test that. And then the next step would be, so, so I was part of research grade CGMP and in animal antibody discovery the first few years, um, the first company I worked for. So I had communications and working on projects with all three. So the next part that you would do isn't the animal study, it's the in-animal antibody discovery, which is different, mm. where then they inject the the animals in Freiburg, Germany. I'm just going to name some of the shit. And then the, the animals express antibodies, and then you've got to get the blood out of the animals, and then you've got supernatant, uh, rat supernatant, and you send you know that back to the U.S. where mm. that would be purified again. So that's weeks again, and then you haven't even done the animal testing itself mm. to see them react and there's no freaking way with the length of time to do all those things that they did them in order. They had to have well, just the, done them in parallel the, at the, like, that's the least bad thing that they did if they, I was going to say they, they, they did it. Their argument is they did it in parallel. And, um, the primate studies were insufficient in my mind. Um, yeah. The one, at, uh, one was in Texas and one was sounded like it was contracted out. I want to say it's probably, I want to say the colony might have been even in India. But um, the. They'll do the, that because the animal laws, they can skirt past, or they don't have the restrictions that we have in the US, I think. On, yeah. It's easier. Um, and cheaper, right? You know, a macaque, God knows what a macaque goes for now after SARS, but, you know. 20, they do 30, the studies here. I'm at UW Madison, so. Um, you're probably familiar with the, some of the studies that are done here for the brain studies, maybe. Mm-hmm. Brain machine interface. And, um, you know, a macaque is in the US $20,000, $30,000 usually. And if you can pay, if you can go to a country where they're indigenous, right? And almost you know, Japan considers their monkeys in some, some instances, not all, to be a pest. And they they destroy ten thousand a year, just because they're eating crops and bothering people, etc. In, in the countryside. So that's you go to a country and Japan's strict still, but you go to India where they literally have gangs of marauding monkeys that chase people off streets. Have you ever seen that? But yeah, that's so that they have. Uh, I, I want to say it's a type of macaque but then there's that they have another bigger monkey called a doc langer monkey and they bring the doc langer monkey in so there's like a handler with the doc langer monkey that comes in and and sort of bullies these marauding macaque like monkeys into into behaving themselves and they sort of restore uh are still peace but in a country like india you're not paying thirty forty thousand dollars for a um a primate, right? It's uh, and so that's why they would choose. This sounds this sounds like an investment opportunity. I think we can we can save humanity from being experimented on and make a, make some money if we just become importers of primates into the U.S. Well, it, you would be facing uh, probably make more money than writing a book, but yeah, maybe. But you <clears throat> the you would be up against like mob like. Um, control of the industry, right? Where th- there are certain importers. Uh, I want to say Charles Rivers Laboratory is a big one, actually. They... They're getting heat right now for the mud crabs. 
Sorry to interrupt. I know some people that work there. I know too many people in the industry. Sorry for, for what? Mud crabs? Because, well, that's where they get the limulus amulocyte lysate is they, you know, that's our gold standard for endotoxin oh, testing. Yes, yes. Even though right now I did work on the synthetic version maybe at one time. Um, I'm not supposed to say that. The So, yeah, the limulus lal that comes from mud crabs for mm. the endotoxin testing for everything that the FDA tests for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's team. That comes from crabs. Yeah. What's that, Charles? I said I'm glad you're on our team. Yeah. So we need to weaponize you more. Yes. Of course, you're already being weaponized like all over the place. So I am weaponized all over the place. <laughs> I was just talking to somebody about the university case, which is totally separate and it's still active. And <sighs> so, Christy, from your perspective, it, it, it's wrong to say that all transfection would lead to uh, the type of adverse event profile that we've seen, that we're currently associating with um, the vaccine rollouts. Is that fair? Correct. And I would say probably, so we've got so many things where the production process was that we know of. There's stuff that we we don't know, but we know that the plasmids landed in there by up to 30% by volume. Jonathan from the, from Ireland and I both have uh, new FOIAs in process asking for batch records of uh, those those plasmid, not, not part of the uh, clinical trials, because I think they're hitting the wrong stuff, because if they changed processes, then, then what, you're not going to get as much data, right, that, uh, that mm. the shit was coming after, like everything was worse after the clinical trials. Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they changed the processes so that's the data that we need mm-hmm. but yeah not every protein is going to misfold um also i was just thinking about that last night and this is your area kev but okay so dead box proteins and h box proteins in the human body are capable of unfolding and refolding even though there's a big process involved but that's only native proteins to the human body they don't know what to do with a foreign protein you're talking heat shock protein right and uh, yeah yeah um yes they they are well it's it's i want to say it's recognized in the literature and that like the health benefits of sauna are recognized and this is and and so just through metabolism, there's wear and tear on proteins, and they're gonna get, um, they're, they're gonna change their conformation. And heat shot protein seems to be able to restore them back to something approximating functionality. Does it work in the instance where you've taken on board a, a known toxic epitope that we know is amyloidogenic? This I don't know. And I don't think that's really been, um, I, I would have to really dive into the literature. And again, you, you know what they're really reliant on in these studies is yeasts and trying to understand the process in yeast. And I don't know how much that translates to um, human. <laughs> that's that's the problem. And I, I want I want to say it was yeast where they first discovered that heat shot protein could reorganize beneficially cells or yeast cells in this instance that had been exposed to um, prion 
and they were going through the the prion cascade if that translates to humans i i don't know and i i can't think of any study off the top of my head where where it's definitive in, in this instance but yes you're right about there being peptides that seem to modulate in, uh, exo endogenous peptides was gonna say but i don't know about when an exogenous prion is present and i would so the, the, this is the problem with prion like disorders right it doesn't you can have the immune system come and take out the cell itself but then the, that immune cell starts developing prion like um cascades and they're they're a i don't know i was i was sort of thinking about this earlier that you know most people have a intuitive understanding about a small molecule pharmacology right and so when we look at like an amino acid we can say okay there's like a benzene ring and a uh abine group on it and maybe another functional group on the benzene ring and but slight changes to that chemistry can make uh, a very very toxic small molecule and prions are like a step up from these very you know toxic biochemistry so toxins themselves to um well I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of a large large peptide functional peptide related disease i don't i don't one doesn't easily come to mind when talking about um well, one time we worked with tau protein. Well, I shouldn't say that. I didn't want to go back in the lab, and I did not. But uh, I, I, I had a job with tau proteins that we organized too. But uh, so there's a there's discussion about whether the canonical degenerative disorders like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. It's we know we can take those peptides, put them into the brain, and we know that we'll kick off the um, the degenerative process right and there's some discussion about should that tissue be handled differently in autopsy type conditions right because we we know that and there was the recent case in france where there were two scientists working with prion protein that they died or they developed what it's felt yakov because they were handling tissue and it they got infected by it does the same happen with like tauopathy or uh, synucleopathy or all these other misfolding disorders? And yeah, I don't want to say it that I, I refuse to go back into the lab. Like mm. we, we had different projects rolling through. And when I saw that on the screen, I thought, what the fuck? We have mm. tau in here. And they said, we're, we're burning all the columns. We're going to we're going to incinerate all the columns, everything that we're purifying it with. And we're, it's just fragments. I'm like, fragments doesn't matter. Mm. So there's a couple of projects where I, re I said, no, no. Mm. count me out mm. not for me yeah yeah well, good call. that's scary mm. but well, don't you think because it's so it was so easy and direct to see the two french cases that were like a year or two apart mm. 
where, like, I don't know, it makes sense that it would be that way, but at the same time, wouldn't that be incredibly noticeable if every coroner in existence was dying? Or- yeah, so it's, it's pretty slower moving, right, Kev? Yeah, I would just say that, you know, you've got the, the extreme end of uh, prion, scrapey prion, for want of a better um, descriptor, PRPSC. Um, from the, the um, was that from mutton? That was where it was, they one. really started to understand the disease, right? So this is my understanding, that sheep would develop it spontaneously and they, I guess the life cycle of a sheep is just quick enough that they could see, you know, the scrapey developing and they knew that, um, you know, don't eat the scrapey sheep, basically. And um, it, Whales, it, that's a thing, right? I was going to make a, a a bad joke after I... Oh, Welsh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my friends in the UK have told me. <laughs> Look, man. Um, Something fuckers. <laughs> yes. Cheap. Cheap fuckers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, do, do, Shouldn't have me on in the morning. Do you do you want to uh, do you want to be dipping into a scrapey sheep? Probably not. I, I would say, um, and like I say, that there's going to be a gradation, a, a, a grade of toxicity of these <clears throat> peptides, and you know maybe. Maybe handling and cutting a Parkinsonian brain is less risky than cutting a um, Kreutzfeldt-Jakob brain, right? But there's probably still risks involved, and we should we should move to um, well investigate it further. I mean, the the, the current state with the medical boards is that there's there's the potential for risk but they're not seeing a, a clear signal like Charles said, which is, would we not see coroners who are working on Parkinsonian brains developing the, the symptoms themselves? And- well, I think, I think we would, I think this is where uh, Jean-Claude and Luke's research, uh, basically tying like a variant CJD directly coming from so it's not variant CJD, but I guess rapid onset mm. coming from the shots, mm. because whatever that mechanism is that's driving it mm. is really what's terrifying. Because if you think about it, they're getting rapid onset CJD, but it's not from cow meat. Yeah, it's it's not and the canonical prion. It's protein. not canonical, mm. but it's. But we also don't know if that's um, if if it can transfer between people, mm-hmm. and so yeah. It, it, but whatever that mechanism is, what it, whatever that trigger is, is terrifying. Mm. And it, what really scares me is that they're probably trying to figure that out right now. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. I need to bring up. Uh... <clears throat> Kev, didn't we talk in the first show the thing that you and I did together and we were talking about the lipids that, because uh, I was seeing studies that lipids can cause fibrosis as yes, well. And I didn't yes. know if that was tied in. And that would 
in addition to the spike protein, in addition to the plasmids, if it was in the heart and then the you've got the fibrosis that can be caused in the heart because the heart pulls in about 70% of its energy from lipids, correct? Mm-hmm. So like it, it wants to to use that and then it it's it fucks it up. That was another thing I was gonna ask too. So I was I was reading and I was talking to Charles about a genetic variant and it's just I would say it's a genetic variant that I had because I had a crap ton of genetics testing done uh, through a medical company, legit. But it came back, I had a heterozygous recessive, and they don't think it's going to be an issue. But it, it was for acetyl, I could, like in a nutshell, it's a, I have a recessive for my mitochondria and an inability to process energy through medium chain lipids or small chain and large chain in the mitochondria for energy. Okay. But that got me, th- so it's not impact, like we don't think it's, it's not impacting me. I'm fine. It's because uh, I'm hetero, I'm not homozygous for it. It's heterozygous recessive and they tested some other things to make mm. sure like, it's not going on. But, but anyways, if so I you're not a homo. That, that's great. Sorry. <laughs> What's that? So you're not a homo. Rick, you're... No, no. So... I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it, man. If you tee them up, I'm going to impulse control disorder. I'm not pissed. Oh, so anyway, so I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about all the people that have mitochondria dysfunction right now. Mm. And all these doctors are putting people on high-protein, high-fat, intermittent Mm. fast diet. And I I don't know if I'm just spitballing here, but if you had a dysfunction of your mitochondria... Isn't there a chance that that pathway and some people might be affected and eating uh, meat and intermittent fast wouldn't be the way to go? Eating carbs would. I would assume so. This is why I, I find the um, paleo people somewhat annoying because they're, they're, they're like the uh, weed bros where weed fixes everything and paleo fixes everything. And that's not always the case. You know, the clinical picture is always more more way more complex than our textbook understanding. Now, I'm I'm unfamiliar with the genetic disorder that you were talking about. So it's multiple here. I'll just post it. But I just thought when I looked it up, I thought, well, that's an easy fix. I just get to eat carbs if it's hurting me. And they said it's not, and they didn't think it was active. But if it were... There was a, a test you can do, too, for, I think, carnitine. Yeah, multiple acyl-CoA dehydrogenase. But it disrupts the pathway for the mitochondria to use lipids. Now, where, where are you pasting the links? I, I did underneath <clears throat> your post for the show today on Twitch, on Twitter. Twitter. So what's interesting about that is that um, it, the... A paleo diet wouldn't work in that case, obviously, but their response would be that, yeah, but we wouldn't have this problem if we had, if we hadn't come up with the idea of eating carbs like 10,000 years ago, because, you know, before, before they were really cooking, they weren't eating the grass, they weren't taking the barley or, or the wheat and just chewing on it. It wasn't until they like domesticated and started making breads and things, which really has only been more recently in our history. So is the existence of that trait just a result of the fact that we started eating carbs in the first place? I don't know. That's a good question. I, that's like the kind of thing that they would 
that they would come back with. I, I, I think it's wrong, but I know that's what they would say. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about. I mean, what, what were the odds numbers for that genetic condition? I don't even know, but I just thought not that people would have this con this genetic mm. uh, mutation, but if you had a dis like, it just got me thinking. Okay, if this is a mutation of mitochondria, but here are the things that are happening in the mitochondria. If people are having dysfunction of mitochondria, what would be the odds that that pathway might also be disrupted? Well, just I, I would not not to dismiss this condition, but you know, one of the one of the things that we do know is that the spike protein is making a beeline for mitochondria, right? Yeah. And so energetic pathways, metabolic pathways are taking a hit in this um, both virus and transfection. And again, you know, the, the question, I, I guess the question will come down to which, which is the safer approach. And th this is where I think you really need a nuanced, there may be some people who may benefit from a gene transfection approach to, to making spike protein and having um, protection that way. Whereas people who are younger and healthier maybe should take their chances by a natural infection and have in place all the thing, all the pharmaceuticals and nutrition necessary to make sure that their recovery is optimized. And that's not what we're doing. We've just seen a blanket assault where everyone had to get this um, this intervention. Well, which... I I think something that's key here is, and obviously there's the whole lipid piece, which which Christy's been talking about. But I would I would go even further. I think I think the reason that JC, well, one of many reasons why he's wrong, he, he's focusing on the wrong thing simply because the transfection by its very nature is bypassing the immune system. And this is his been this has been one of his main arguments, mm. and he's kind of ignoring it now, but but that's the best argument, mm. because if you're bypassing the mucosa and you're doing these direct injections, you're risking you know the the bolus. You're risking, especially if you're putting it in lipids and all these other things. We really should focus on using vaccination as like the oral or a whole inactivated live virus or the things that we knew actually could work better with without this this transfection. Mm. So it seems like we're forgetting basics. And and that was his argument a year ago. Mm. So I'm not sure why I, he, I, he's kind of he, he's taking it he, I don't know, he's he, he's taking it in a strange and unnecessary direction. Because the bottom line is, is that transfection could be good for, you know, those rare disorders mm. until we have a safer way to do it. And they're suffering is plan A. Yeah. So the, like those patients that get that treatment, they're suffering is plan A. Mm. Infection right. or they, CRISPR. They, they're, because they're, uh, it's a guide RNA isn't 100%. Sorry, there, there was. Sorry. You, you were both talking, so I miss. Sorry, Charles. Bo bo both of, both of which. So, sorry, just to clarify, you were saying. In the conditions you're working with, um, the only the, the only option is just suffering and um, a painful end. Or 
or early death or just yeah. painful, right? The And the projects that I've seen through now that are in stage three clinical trial, we got sent videos and we cried our eyes out of kids doing better mm -hmm. than when they entered. Yeah, so, and to Charles' point, which is the... Yeah, we, we know that the, I, I don't want to say that all vaccination is bad. I would say there's there was there is an established science around it. Um, and look, in places where it's hard to get good water sanitation and, you know, um, those parts of the world, maybe measles is a something you want to immunize against. Polio is something you want to immunize against. Um, is it necessary in uh, the first world, like we've, like we're seeing it being used? And I, I, I would say the US is a strange setup where that they've made everything mandatory, essentially. And well, it's a really good, it's a really good way to test it. And the problem is that they have tested it. What they've discovered is that US children are aren't as healthy as children in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the main, and you can't explain it with accessibility to food or accessibility to clean water or the availability of good medical care. Mm -hmm. So how many other variables are there that could possibly explain why we're seeing all these autoimmune or disorders, why we're seeing this autism, mm -hmm. these neuro problems? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I'm not a genius, but that's what RFK has been really talking about. Is mm. that not vaccination is is the spawn of Satan, but that the obviously the way that we're doing it and the in, the volume of what we're doing mm. is not is not good. It's it's having a, a deleterious impact mm. relative to the rest of the world. And obviously they're not going to pay for those studies, mm. but you can still see it in the aggregated data. Well, I I know that there are. There's a couple of very famous primate studies where they showed, oh, look, we can give vaccines and there's no cognitive deficits in these <laughs> uh, in, in, in these animals. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, hang on a minute. You're just testing um, one vaccine, right? Do it all and do it in a... The reason you have a test animal is that you push the limits to make sure that you're covering the large numbers and potentialities that could be happening out in the real world in the in the in the medical field and you the ideal study is you have a large colony a hundred um macaques for example with young um with parents parents isn't the right way of putting it but you know breeding pairs and them having uh, you know, offspring, and then half those offspring, right, that are coming out need to be essentially full, full schedule and hard schedule to see if there is an is is a problem, and if there is, that gives you the indicator of well, we need to be looking at something. But no one has done that study. It's just single single brands. And they'll say, "Ha, ah, look, there's nothing, there's nothing going on here. We can, we can carry on and keep, keep vaccinating." And I think that's they, the problem. They can afford to nickel and dime us forever. It's just another way of kicking the can down the road. Yeah. And I know that, I know that Chrissy's been on the other side of this, where 
where you're trying to get a product across the finish line and the you, you have these regulatory standards but then you also have this pressure to to get the product out as much as possible mm-hmm. and those are always competing and and really i think one of the big jc's right in the sense that yes we should not be moving all towards transfection no yeah. but that was i think that's what the whole goal was this because we didn't exactly market. yeah sorry so, to interrupt the problem is huge, but it's not the only problem. And when we focus too much on the methods and not enough on the underlying, uh, or I guess all the other stuff, because he's just saying transfection. He's not even talking really about plasmids. He's not talking about lipids. He's, and those are part of why the transfection is so terrible. Um, he just kind of makes blanket statements that, uh, well, but... Because he's it, not familiar with the processes. That's why yes, he doesn't know what he's talking about because he's not familiar with the processes yeah. and he hasn't been there in the lab to see. You know, we could run... So here's like... There's a couple of things I wanted to say too. Like, we could run... When I was on site before I started my business, we we would have monthly meetings and we called them lessons learned and we could run a project identical to the mm-hmm. one we did before with the same cell line, the same RNA... The same purification systems, everything was held constant and we'd have a different outcome sometimes. And we used to have a saying that biology is going to do what biology is going to do. So that's even that's not even in the human body. Mm. But I was going to ask Kev, uh, you a question, because when I was in school for pharmacy, I wrote a paper that that's what got me into the program on why direct to consumer advertising should be banned in the United States. And I wrote Mm. that back in like 2013, I think. And I remember reading and learning so many differences when we talk about kids and autism and people being sick. The differences between the drugs that we have access to in the United States and the drugs that you have access, like I know you're in Japan now, but in the UK, I can go and I don't need a prescription for trials notes too, like fucking anything. Like for, for, for some of the drugs that are available over the counter here to anybody, in the, in the UK, you can't get it without a doctor's prescription. So we have like we have faster, easy access. And I was curious if that would have something to do with it. And I didn't know how it was like in Japan. Like if you can just go and so J- Japan yeah. has a uh, very integrative approach to its medicine, right? So you can go and get acupuncture or I don't know chiropractic treatment, and it's all covered under insurance basically and there is a and because the government is sort of paying for these pharmaceuticals there's there isn't the incentive doctors aren't rewarded for writing prescriptions the government isn't it, it's just a cost for them and so you don't see them over prescribing and i found it's very difficult for myself to get what so look man japanese dish out their medicines in like half the doses that you get in the west right and so the i need like double the amount and actually within like the medical insurance they recognize that foreign people will need a different amount than japanese people with respect to prescribing okay but even even with that being recognized, you can't get pain 
medication beyond tramadol for for chronic consistent pain and i think even even in cancer um the pain or the use of morphine is very very low you would never you'd have never got a oxycontin um scandal like you did in the us here in japan and again the i I remember when i first went to the us and i was you know i got tv as you do (laughs) watching watching drug adverts on tv i couldn't believe it i was like holy shit they're They're everywhere gas stations even that was my article was why they should be banned because the the who actually used to be a great organization and that there were someone i I quoted the who because they actually called for the banning of dtca and it was back in 2006 yeah now they're uh, supporting it. Yeah. They're oh, they're supporting everywhere. it now? <laughs> okay. The jabs, yeah, and vaccines, right? And they're advertising it. They're hypocrites. Gosh. So they're, yeah. they're even stepping in right now and saying that you can advertise. Yeah, so something has gone very, very wrong in the last 10 years where they've, I don't know, they were built. What was happening? I, and I think, um, what's that, Milken? Uh, presentation where Fauci is there and the, the they're talking about how they need to blow up the system to introduce these new vaccines to get away from the old style of doing things. Yeah, it's 2018. That's um, uh, Rick Bright, I think, is what you're, you're talking about. Mm. And there's, but there's just some talking head from the New York Times, I want to say, mm. and he just says, "Oh, we need to, we need to blow up." The system and i was just like hey hang on a minute you know the system's taken decades and decades to build and it's and the point they were trying to make i guess was they were making it sound like vaccines were all made with eggs still and that's the, yeah they used to be but now they're synthetic mm, and that's not true now and so th- they were they were looking for another way to bring in this technology and this is where look i think there's a real argument and discussion to be had about what what are these people's end goals with respect to um, gene engineering and transhumanism, etc. This is this is something that we do need to be talking about. But I, I think there's a case of they can poison the well now, like they've done with other nonsense. Um, well, you know what happened yesterday, right? They. Um... Ancestry.com was just purchased by BlackRock. Fuck. No shit. <laughs> well, then isn't Pfizer tied to 23andMe? Like, I, like I've talked about getting That's the correct. next test, but I've only had mine done through a serious medical company for specific tests. It wasn't, like, broad. Yeah, still got sold. Yeah. Your data got... Uh... And Vitae has my data. <laughs> well, yeah, China has your data, and now BlackRock has your data. Mm. So congratulations. Mm. I never did the 23andMe or the Ancestry, though. No, uh, I, I, think, I didn't. I think I they think, can I see think, that I. I think they merged. I think they might have merged. But that's um, Google, right? Not Google. Is it Google? The YouTube woman Wachowski. Uh, she left now. What was her name? Not Wachowski. That's the Matrix. But Wazicki, Susan Wazicki, didn't she? Oh, we are in the Matrix now. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. But wasn't she, wasn't she part of Twenty Three and Me? I want to say. Speaking of people coming and going, one of our friends on Twitter, Kelly, 
said that she is a tracker for people who come and go for her followers and that a couple hundred of her followers got suspended within the last 24 hours. And some of them are Dr. D, Marble Benjamin, MD to treat patients. And the other one was Jeff Fisher, MD, pathologist, got suspended. Really? Uh, we were wondering if this was because of the new new uh, CEO of Twitter. Yeah, so and she's World, uh, yeah, she's World Economic Forum, right? That's what you've you've literally got a video of her talking about the need to censor um, discussion and and speech. And again, there's there's so so much important discussion to be had around the ethics of where we're going right now. And the concerning fact is, is that they've gone down this route of medicalizing dissent. Whereas if, if you wanna, if you wanna question authority around, you know, should we be gene, gene transfecting young kids with a, you know, amyloidogenic spike protein? Um, if you're questioning that, that's, you've got information disorder. So you need to, you need to be controlled in all manner of forms, and yeah, I, I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if the the gates are being locked down again with respect to uh, Twitter. Um, I, I do know the, the the risks that that all that group. I, I, I sometimes she sees it every day, and I know she's experienced like just that that pressure that threat that they want to do they they want to make it to where i'm trying to think of the, the right movie i don't know if it's um a clockwork orange or whatever it is but, but they want to make it to where you're you you got to go straight to uh the fourth floor or whatever floor it is in your hospital mm. you're crazy if you if you disagree with this mm. but that's terrifying because one of the things that's happened in recent decades is they've strengthened those laws. Um, again, there's, it's weird because it's, we're moving backwards in time to where, well, yeah, they're weaponizing medical stuff. If it's, it seems like, well, I don't want to go too deep into it, but, but it is terrifying. And um, and especially, obviously, because this is a, something that I've had to deal with having PTSD is that the, there have been arguments over the years, okay, well, we don't want, um, whenever they come out with gun law restrictions that they're talking about, one of the things they talk about is, you know, we want to restrict that to people with various disorders, including, obviously, PTSD. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that's not cool. But at the same time, I understand what they're saying, but it's not the answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's got to be a better answer than restricting freedom. Um, and they're spending so much time on measures that deal with control and none on actually treating people or making them better. Yeah. That's about that. the, the disturbing Like part. all drugs laws are going away. Sorry, Kev. Just well, like the decriminalization of all drugs. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, 
that's another topic of discussion. But the, the problematic area is that corporations are looking at these control mechanisms through new <clears throat> monitoring. And, you know, the, I was playing clip of some school in China where the, you know, the, these EEG type um, devices, wireless, have been around for God, 15 years, like commercially. You could you could buy them for your PC 15 years ago, and you know you don't need many contacts per se to be able to sort of get that type of readout, such that the teacher is sitting at the front treating the children like uh, well, like I would a monkey basically. Right? I'm getting I'm getting brain feedback from monkey and muscular feedback, and that I can change reward and do all that type of modulation and it's a very um skinner operant conditioning type but more next gen operant conditioning and they're monetizing it so that whoever can come up with the next widget or algorithm for more honed control they're rewarding and building into these systems and that that's incredibly uh, dangerous territory to be to be walking down um, yep. A few years ago, I was I was ready to uh, do the same, and you know, just a different different. I'm glad you walked away from the empire. You joined the rebellion, so it was, it was more just a series of unfortunate events that just um, more than anything, and I don't know. I don't know if. If it hadn't been for SARS and watching, watching what I saw as that I knew were problem areas, suddenly become so manifest. Whether I would, I would be doing. I probably might be trying to get back in, trying to think. I've got a, I've got technology. <laughs> I can, I can see where they're going with, you know, they're looking, mass surveillance, interpretation of, um, outward behavior because it does give you a and a window into brain state right so if you can see someone that's engaging in stereotype behavior stereotypy ocd type behavior right and you can pick that out which they is what i was doing and we know that that correlates with abnormal brain states literally they've got this overwatch system in place where well, i say they can read minds but they can start to just infer from your own activity that you might be anxious and hey we don't someone's looking a bit anxious with uh Klaus Schwab coming to visit we'll pull that one yeah we know that for a fact actually if they're I think it's Robert Epstein he's done a lot of studies with Google's like drop down search results and stuff mm. and how they use that to to control things mm. he, he's the person who who said that that simply by the drop-down menu of choices in search results, just with Google, they they changed like seven million votes in the election. I think in twenty fourteen, I think it was because uh, yeah, they set up monitors and and they, he, he was able to prove that that Google tailors things specifically to achieve certain results mm. and. Um, and it's actually incredibly effective and yeah. happening all the time and that we don't know it. And he was able to get them to stop certain things 
But what he had to do was record people, like a randomized subsets of people across the United States. He they put recording software, and they would record it, and they were able to track and show that this was happening. Mm-hmm. But but that's just one aspect of it. They so not only can they control you, Google knows they've done a, they've run the data and they know that they can they can have an impact on your choice making because mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. but they also have all the data and Facebook has all the data where they can tell if you're anxious they can tell if you're I'm going to retweet Brandon yeah, and we follow one another from the Brave browser right now. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I like I thought I am. I've been using the Brave browser for probably a year and a half. But uh, mm-hmm. a guy named Brandon, he, he that was his main pin tweet. Who owns your attention? Who owns your web browsing experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually Brandon. Brandon, he's the CEO, or he was the CEO, yeah. the inventor of Mo- Mozilla, maybe. But he actually follows Drastic, and so I've actually talked to him back and forth a little bit myself. Mm. And and that, but that's exactly right. That's what we have to do because because they can do these things. They are and they're actively trying to weaponize them. Like yes. Facebook, they, they they were they knew they were incentivizing violence, for instance, or or like political um, disputes and, and and fostering that. But they did they did it anyway because it was profitable. For them, or, and or if 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 Facebook does it because it's profitable, we know how embedded the deep state is with Silicon Valley. So of course, mm-hmm. it's they're not just doing certain things for profit. And if they can do it for profit, then they can obviously do it for other reasons too. Well, that's there's that whole thing about uh, the I, I want to say it was the Egypt uprising, right? Where they were using Twitter to ferment the uh, the yeah, as part of Arab Spring, yeah. Yeah, and um, look, it's it's being done right now. I think around Ukraine, um, you know, you saw you saw the virtue signaling and the um, using it as a way to. Where's your Ukrainian flag, by the way? My... I don't see it in your profile. I was looking for it, but <laughs> yeah. I couldn't find it. Yeah, no chance. <laughs> I've got a whole bunch of mimetic ones I could deploy if I wanted to, but um, it's this. It's the same. I say it's the same techniques. The techniques are evolving all the time, and the the convergence between the biology and this big data analytics is uh, is frightening right now. Um, and you know, I, I to- I've toyed with the idea that what we've seen over the last three years may have just been a emergent phenomena of stuff that we put into place with the best of intentions. In a best case scenario, I don't think that but I, I toyed with the idea that oh you know they've put these guardrails and whatever. I, I don't think you have to toy with that idea too much mm-hmm. I think these guardrails are I, <laughs> I think they're, they're more negative than they are positive and they know it but yeah because the, the, fact, right. the fact that they knew about the lipids yeah. well, the fact they knew about all this but let's just say with the lipids in particular they they have this immersion technology they knew that lipids caused issues, and they did it anyway. The, so the, the mRNA technology is all they did it anyway, and now they're moving to this anyway, even though they know that it's probably worse than what they had before, mm. but they're doing it anyway. So even so, if, like, JJ's argument, 
if that was, you know, it is wrong, but it, even if you use the, the lipids, the nanoparticles with a different protein that is not a bioweapon mm-hmm. with multiple folding parts and all the other shit that's wrong with it. It's like if they were just going to use it instead for like influenza A vaccine, which like that never, I got that years ago and I got sick, but it never, never worked. But just, uh, you know, yeah, then prob- you got the lipids aggregating. You What's that, Kev? It probably made you sick. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. Right. Um. Awesome. I was I was gonna say as far as what Charles like I wish I, before I joined Twitter before I knew what an absolute fucking shithole it is that I would have read when you're talking about uh, the Arab Spring um, like war the weaponization of social media like I just read that I think a couple of months ago and they were talking about Brexit that one third of the conversations on Twitter on Brexit were sock accounts they were either advanced AI or there were people behind accounts and they would come in. And they would actually like corner people and you'd have like two of them come in from from each angle of uh, like an argument on what was going on. And their whole their whole existence was to elicit an emotional response. Yeah. And if, if I would have known that was one like and, and I know that's happening right now because I'm back on lockdown because I'm entering into a clinic changing careers now. So I've got to I've got to I got to hide Mm. But uh, now, now with that book, I'm not totally canceled. It, but yeah, I like, like that's probably saying, going on now. Were they saying that it was that it was pro Brexit or anti Brexit or oh, just here, chaos? I, th- I think both. Uh, I'll, there's a good video summary I'll link <clears throat> up under this. So there, there are competing camps, right? This is uh, the what's the company Cambridge Analytica, and um, they're the sort of OG masters. At this and they were even the, the UK government has even classified organizations like Cambridge Analytica as being essentially akin to weapons sales right that they they couldn't just offer their services left right and center there had to be control that maybe they've been removed somewhat but for sure for sure those programs have been used and as part of this um, nudge, nudge psychology, and uh, Oxford University is uh, sort of ground zero. For all that. What did you say, Oxford? You mean oh. like where Jeremy Farrar and, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. Michael Roby and Eddie Holmes and Andrew Rambo mm-hmm. and uh, you know all, all those people? Yeah, where they're from? Yep, that that place, bro. That's it. I sent you the other day. I would never go back into that academic environment. Um, give me a position where I can call in airstrikes on it and take it out that way. Um, I, I might consider something like that. Yeah, but uh, they, have, they have old buildings, you know. Well, you know, those. Uh, what's the line from uh, Aliens? We've got seven canisters of uh, whatever it is, CN20. <laughs> we, we roll that in there. No, no. Well, I think I think the better one from that movie would be, um, you know, let's just nuke the planet. Love it. I thought we were trying, thought we were trying to save the sure. buildings. I thought we were trying to save the buildings. Don't... Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah. So it, it's the seventh. Sorry. Canisters. Yeah, I, I turned into JC for a minute. But... <laughs> we, do, we do need to be more surgical with our right. thought process. 
though, is there any more points that you wanted to? Because I, I know you said there were a whole. Well, did you I, want to play any stuff? Do we want to riff off of stuff for a little bit? Like, have some Scooby Doo music playing in the background and just watch some of his videos? I, I, I didn't. I didn't timestamp much, except you know, I was listening to it and I got I got to the bit where he was just talking about well, amyloids isn't isn't a risk, and that's. That's an insane proposition to be taking in my oh, mind. Oh, actually, oh, you know what we could do? Mm. If you want, we could do that. I do know the timestamp in the other video, like the one previous where he spends 15 minutes attacking um, Kevin McKernan. Oh, uh, yeah, go on in. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if I, I don't know if I wanted to do that. Because that's, sure. that's pretty much exactly four and a half hours in on that one. Are you guys going to queue that up? Uh, yeah, I need to share my. I'm gonna step away for a sec. Yeah, please. no, go ahead. I've had a lot of coffee. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I feel your pain. Yes, let me figure out the screen share. Yeah, screen. Desktop. Share sound. Share this. So my desktop should be sharing, and when I this and it's this one immunology immunomythology uh it's it's like the long one something yeah and you're saying get to four hours yeah look at 4 30 yeah just randomly dude i switched on the screen and there's bimbo bailey (laughs) (laughs) who was who was the other chick that we were. <laughs> oh, that was a uh, Maria Kirko. So it's just before this. It's like twenty minutes before this, probably. Well, the, for the, the, the last that are listening, I, I I would choose Bimbo Bailey than <laughs> the other one. Yeah, I I agree. If I um, if I'm in a log cabin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if I'm stuck in Okinawa and there's nobody left, yeah. <laughs> All right, free. Ah, the thing with Twitch is it doesn't give you um, timestamps. Um, I I haven't heard what he's saying about uh, Kevin in this instance. So, four twenty eight, four twenty nine. Um, let me. Just... Yeah, he's already in there. He's already in there. You can see it's he's so. Ah, yes. Okay, so he's got yeah. Kevin. He's already talking about it. Okay. Um. Let's let's step that back. Okay. Um, okay. Is is that enough? Uh. Yeah, oh, that no. that's that's too much. It's four twenty-two. Uh, well, let's see. Let's see what he's saying, and if not, I can step it forward. Or maybe several things were tested in parallel. And we can't ever know which of those actually contributed to the hypothetically better outcomes that they observed. Hello, everyone. My name is Doug. Sorry about that. So infectious clones defined as what we've been working on for the last month in and out of vacation, repeatedly coming to the picture that I had in nature here where it is implied that viruses make perfect copies of themselves and that perfect copies of themselves get coughed on other people. And we've done lots of cartoons to describe 
how this is actually more equivalent to a cassette tape or to an MP3. And so the fidelity of these things is limited and it's always been this way. This is the reason why virology is so hard. And so although some of these experiments are kind of possible, they are all limited by this extreme sort of lack of fidelity and extreme low fidelity of copying in terms of RNA viruses. And the only way for them to overcome this in a laboratory setting is to make a DNA clone of that RNA sequence that they purport to be a pathogen. And the point that we've been making in our discussions repeatedly is that even when they make that copy, it doesn't behave like the cartoon and they've known this for decades. The people that first invented this idea of making a DNA clone of a virus are Vincent Rancid Yellow and David Baltimore, also the guy who happens to be credited with discovering reverse transcriptase. Reverse transcriptase was often used as a primary indicator of the presence of a retrovirus, like AIDS. Again, a very similar kind of rationale to how the presence of an RNA-dependent RNA polymerase could instantly be a pathogen. And so we've argued for many weeks now that infectious clones, as defined by the literature, are essentially the way that whatever these signals are in the wild is overcome. This may indeed be a poor representation of the signals that we are talking about. We are still using a virus here. And so if it is an exosome secreted by our immune system or by other tissues in our body, this is not a very good illustration of what's going on. But nevertheless, it is the idea that why is it that we can't ever culture these viruses? Well, if they're exosomes, then none of them are replication competent. And that explains everything. It's pretty simple. But again, that argument. Oof. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, this, it's all exosomes. Um, how, does that, how does that explain everything? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Even, how are we actually getting sick? He, he is. He, that can only be terrain theory. Like, I don't. It doesn't. This is his clone theory, right? Yeah. 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 And look. For the swarm theory. The yes the and you know what I will um I'm I'm in pain too I'm gonna let Charles just do a quick breakdown of the swarm and um what have you for a few minutes do you mind doing that and because I, I want to oh, listen yeah. to what, oh, what Jay's, Jay's saying but um oh, it's it's important it's important point yeah sorry man what can I say the prostate never stops growing like the gut so. Well, I guess it's good. <laughs> well, I must have not have a nervous injury or something. I don't know. Um, uh, oh, okay. Um, I'll mute and let you take over. Yeah, I had to get more oh, coffee thanks. and. Uh, thanks. Did thanks. you say he was I'm, in pain? That's going to leave me here. Okay. I'm hanging out. I'm going to be here. You're just going to drive. Oh, man. I hate to drive. Um, okay, well. Um, oh, geez. What can I say about infectious clones that I haven't already said? Um, well, this argument, once again, if, if for people who have not been exposed to it in the past, his argument, my, my problem with his argument isn't that infectious clones aren't the problem, because that's how SARS-CoV-2, if it was manufactured, was cre the, 
that's the way that's that's what was infecting people that's how it was created problem that i have is that it, the way he argues it is that these infectious clones can't replicate enough to the point where they can reliably produce infections that can transfer from one person to the next which uh well we spent a lot of time arguing why the evidence does not support what he's saying um he uses a mathematical argument to, to state that it's not the case but the video that the clip that we were about to play is about 15 minutes 10 10 to 15 minutes where he's arguing that the the sequencing is bad and so we can't trust it and that's not actually telling us what we think that it's telling us and in that in this clip he goes after kevin mckernan who by the way is the same person who is as of right now he's he's the person who found the plasmids mm. in the Pfizer and presumably in the Moderna vials for the vaccine. And plasmids are how our, our bacteria used to produce in, in these infectious clones. Um, because RNA viruses, when they copy themselves, they make errors. They, they make a lot, their error rate is much higher than with DNA viruses. Because when DNA replicates itself and when it, when it makes copies of itself, it does so, and it can do so in a, a, a much more near-perfect uh, ratio. And one effect of this is that RNA viruses mutate faster. And one way they get over this is by recombining more than DNA viruses do. But what he argues is that, what JC argues is that the, the infectious clones aren't producing enough copies that include the parts of the genome that allow it to replicate. And... I'll, I'll just add this, though. In, in a, in a biowarfare context, for sure, infectious uh, or, or clonal recombinant technology will be deployed right it's how you make chimeric viruses yes yeah um but to claim that they're not or they're so unstable that they just fall back into nothing doesn't concord well enough with um i, I i'd want to see um very very detailed studies and evidence brought forth rather than just hypotheticals and, right. and, and i don't want and I, I i don't want to spend too much time going over the ground that we've already covered mm. um because at the end of the day the way they make these infectious clones is with these bacterial plasmids because they can because these bacterial plasmids are, are making they're able to make these perfect copies of whatever it is that message that you give them and it's the it's those plasmids which when they're still in the vials that interact with your body 
in really bad ways. They interact with the lipid, the various lipids that make up the lipid nanoparticle in very bad ways. And it just creates a toxic brew. So, well, above that's and, beyond, and that's really, so above and beyond the fact that he doesn't think that there makes it transmissible. Actually, the existence of these plasmids makes, makes the vial, makes the jabs more dangerous. And infectious it also makes the infectious clones more dangerous and there's no reason to the, the evidence doesn't show that the that it mutates away fast enough the evidence shows that it, it, it creates a far more stable virus mm. it's able to replicate it's able to transmit mm. um, even if we don't know the exact ratio of of how many of those virions are replication competent mm. the bottom line is that the proof is in the pudding that they are whatever mm. that ratio is it's working yes yeah and like i say replication incompetent doesn't mean that they're not contributing to the disease state to allow those viral particles that are competent to increase their chances of success so do we continue with the video yeah yeah I, 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 it's Kevin McKernan bit is coming up, I presume. ...the path, that discussion space, seems to have been early, an early discard of, of the no-virus crew and of Andrew Kaufman in particular. Well, I'm going to do more research to figure this out because I think we're on to something here. So my posit is... It produces viruses. In fact, in most cases, a large fraction, if not the majority, of the virus particles that are produced are defective. They're not good for anything. They're not infectious. They just kind of float around. And among other things, they interact with people. Right. Hang, hang on there, Rob. Hang on there. If they're, if they're spitting out amyloidogenic peptides, then you've got, uh, you've got a problem on your hands. Just, I'll just add that. As does the live virus. So my argument is, is that the reason why Robert Malone has never said this again is because this was a mild mistake. This was a mistake from the perspective of he's just, you know, explaining it early on and trying to be charming and hadn't, hadn't really explored the space of, well, what can I tell people about the infectious cycle that I know that they don't know? And this was one of the things that happened to come up and it's never been repeated. And the reason why was because it's kind of a detail slip up. It's a detail that we don't need, but is revealing from the perspective of what's really going on here with this, this idea of pandemic viruses. And Keep Charles, just remind me, um, it's the conference with Barrick and Dormitz, is it Dormitzer, where they take out the, what is it, Not, uh, the protein, protein 14, the, the proof, proof correcting peptide, right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So the same, it's the same 2014 game function conference in December, mm. right after the ban has gone into effect. That and they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to um, argue that that they that they know how to make these things safely mm. and, and tweak coronaviruses safely and and so that they and actually remdesivir <laughs> mm. um, is designed to to cause this hypermutation, but um, at the same time. 
they they forget the argument that first of all the coronaviruses are more stable yes they're rna viruses but they're more stable than dengue fever for instance which is another rna virus i believe yeah Be- because they have this nsp14 so 24 20 times more stable than the average rna virus because it has this uh, endo exonuclease that that does a lot of this air transcription at, at a much better rate than the average virus mm-hmm. and there's no proof in the literature anywhere that that coronaviruses aren't better at at this replication competence than with than, than dengue and the other thing that he he keeps going back to was was I think the 2019 study where they had, they looked at they did Sanger sequencing of of the swarm of like OC43 or or something and it, and he keeps saying okay well there was only like X number of replication competent things out of like one out of oh that that was the uh, nanopore sequencing right where they you right. see the ratio of peptides and um, but that's right. In and my... that's but that's that's what Kevin McKernan was. So Kevin McKernan was like, eh, yeah, actually that exon is important, and actually we do see the results of that when we do the sequencing. And he was saying that JC was misunderstanding what the sequencing was actually concluding, mm-hmm. and and he he said that you know several months ago. And JC finally got around to uh, to responding to him, and I know that I believe all of us have seen the 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 back and forth with with Matthew Crawford, but JC stayed out of the fray, mm-hmm. even though it was his idea until until just now. So that's really what we're watching is the response to that. Okay, so I'm deadly interested in seeing this. Are you, yeah. there? Are you there, Christy? Are you? I'm just chilling yeah, out, like you guys drive. Okay, okay. Just, and I got just... something to to eat and a okay. little snack. Are you guys okay? Because I know it's one o'clock in uh, the morning. I know you had a little nap, but um, you've got I, a I mean, eight feet in the morning, right? Nap, so we're doing great. Yeah, we. Uh, it, it wasn't. It wasn't twenty minutes. Both of us just crashed out <laughs> like three hours. So um, I'm, I'm still good to go. Um, so let's let's continue playing. Keeping in mind that he cut his teeth with the retrovirology crew that included David Baltimore, I think you can start to see where I'm going here and where I have been going for some time. Yeah. So we've met some resistance to this idea. Um, Kevin McKernan is a very well-respected molecular biologist who now has his own company that works on the genetics of cannabis and cannabis pathogens, I believe. And uh, he had cut his teeth very early in the Human Genome Project. And although he doesn't have a degree per se, like a PhD, his long multi-decade sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, sash of, of merit badges is pretty crazy. Um, and so in that sense, we have to respect him as a, a molecular biologist, and I definitely do. I've had him on my stream a few times. So I found it kind of strange that he was one of the people that responded rather tersely um, to my presentations uh, of late and continues to respond kind of tersely to them as far as I know, although I'm not really on Twitter anymore. Um, and I find it weird um, because it's it's... It's a noticeable lack of respect where I don't really think it's necessary. And in fact, if you look back at the stream 
<laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> that, uh, I, it's just I had to just laugh, and I don't want to cover um, up what he's saying. So, um, yeah, oh, God, that's I'll funny just, stuff right there. I'll just lack of respect. Mm, mm. Yeah, I would actually also argue that someone could have a PhD at university and work on a protein and have no fucking idea how to w- do anything in a production lab. So I, I think that yeah, the, I just the, want to say that. The PhD is no, uh, it's no guarantee you, of no. Uh, a, a competency, especially nowadays. Uh, I can think of uh, a few individuals that fit that criteria. Ian. Yeah, <laughs> I do. And uh, they're psychics. But anyway, let's move on. With John Bodwin on Rumble, you just have to look for like Cooey, Rose, McCarran, and you'll find this stream that we did on St. Patrick's Day. I presented the same basic idea to him then, and his objections were completely different than what were in this Twitter thread, which I believe followed my presentation to the NCI, the National Citizens Inquiry at, uh, in Canada. So let's just go through some of these tweets and see if we can glean anything from what was said here. So okay, first so tweet is, this is a uh, misunderstanding. I'm going to interject. Um, see, what JC doesn't understand is that, because he, he had this similar complaint with me, which is that, okay, well, why didn't you bring this up whenever we would stream? Well, because I don't want to speak publicly about it, because I don't want to cause division within the, our, our our resistance. So, so why would I? So why would I go out of my way if we're streaming together to do it? Mm-hmm. And because I was, I had been trying privately to talk to him about these things that I had concerned about, and I I know that uh, Kevin McCurdy was the same because I've talked to him and. And so this notion that, like, then why wouldn't he come talk to me? I mean, we tried. Mm. And I, well, Kevin, I know you've seen the proof of that for me, so. Yeah, I'm, I've seen the stuff around Diffuse and, uh, yeah. But what Charles is saying is true. Because <laughs> um, you guys were friends. Like, like, I said that to Charles yesterday. Like, that has to suck because Charles and JJ were you guys were pretty close, right? Yeah, I mean, I came to him on purpose because I trusted him, and because you know, I wanted to work with him. So it, and, it was frustrating. And look, at, at a big picture, what what Jay's aiming for is that he's he's buying into the James Giordano argument that for psychological operations, they want to. They want to seed the idea that there's a novel pathogen. So you go around to a few places, you you release your infective clone, and that doesn't mean plasmid, that means translated plasmid that is a functional virus, and that that then fades away into the background. And I I just don't I don't think the data unless we can't trust any data, which is a potential. I would call it a slim one, but you know, every every PCR machine was backdoored. Every sequencing machine was backdoored. Every blood test was backdoored. Every CT scan was backdoored. Um, that that's the simple answer, Kevin. It's the most parsimonious. That's the parsimonious solution: is that everything is an illusion, mm. and but that's. 
that's what's ironic is that he, he uses the James Giordano clip quite frequently as if that's the only tactic. But that's not the only tactic. It's actually much more parsimonious to, to just create a virus that can spread on its own, mm-hmm. that you only have to release once or, or in a minimal number of locations, because that's far more efficient from a monetary perspective than, than cooking up batches of something, coordinating simultaneous releases, mm-hmm. and then and then faking the sequencing so that way it, it's always moving in the direction that you want it to, even when you don't have control of all the sequencers. Like, it's it's incredibly illogical. Well, they have control of all the sequencers. So tap me up, boys. They're everywhere. Messing with stuff. Okay. <laughs> That's all I gotta say is, I mean, they don't, they don't, it's, it's not that hard for them to, they're controlling all of this through the media. They're controlling all of this through their control of communications, not through, like, like that's so much easier because they already control Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't need to, to have 10,000 people leaking, like put, taking vials and leaking them into water supplies. Like it, it's mm-hmm. not necessary. Just make a virus that can spread. Mm. If the virus is real and it can spread, that's the most parsimonious solution. Yeah, and that's that's what we have to reject to um, move on to the idea that it is just a. Okay, well, well, I'll shut up now because because I want to I want to I want to see what she what she what she has to say when she hears what he says about all this McKernan stuff. Okay. <clears throat> Understanding of polymerase fidelity. The moment the RNA gets into the cell, it begins the process of making single, so, so subgenomic RNA behaving just like the virus. All of the cloud issues begin at the first copy of the DNA to RNA and the apoplex response. So I, I'm not sure, I'm kind of confused here because he doesn't seem to realize, first of all, that the RNA that we're putting into the cell is all relatively high fidelity copies. They're not perfect because RNA polymerase isn't perfect, but they're pretty pretty perfect compared to what the virus could ever do. And this is something that uh, Marie has, um, Mary, sorry, has pointed out, is that once once the transfection has taken place, the, the cloud dynamics kick in already. She, she's made exactly the same point that Kevin has, and she would, would be useful to be able to pull her into the conversation right now because um, she's far more eloquent than myself at uh, describing this issue, but I just wanted to interject that. And these RNA being produced by the bacterial culture here in this picture are then put on the cell culture in quantity. And that quantity of relatively pure full genome RNA can't be produced in any other way. It can't be produced in any other way. It can't be produced in any other way. So I'm not sure what the point he is making here. It's almost dubious. Next tweet is, likewise, making RNA from DNA is not perfection error free. I've given him this literature, question mark. But again, I'm not, not acknowledging dubious. that. But Sorry. I just repeated, it's almost dubious. <laughs> right. It's scooby um, I'm trying to 
let me just say, making RNA from the DNA, infectious clone, it's not perfection, error-free replication. Giving him this literature, DNA polymerases, the replicate plasmids, make an error every million bases, RNA polymerases that transcribe them 10 to 100 times more errors. Um, yeah, well, again, in my mind, this is the, um, this, the emergence of the swarm, even within the the concentrate that you're making is 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 happening and that swarm well the point being that the swarm still maintains some degree of stability that we can classify them phylogenetically um, oh, well in an infection yeah you're not talking about a transfection though right infection oh yeah okay it's but, but even it, I, th I think what Kevin would be saying here is that because of the error, the, you, the, me the mechanisms of the swarm dynamics, if that's, if that, it depends how legit that theory is, right? That um, they're still, they're still initiating and starting in that environment. And my understanding of the swarm is that the swarm enables how should we say better adaptation in real world such that right. and, and there may be levels of communication you know like you could get down to sort of quantum entanglements i guess of how information might be sort of flowing between uh virions and you know, well the swarm has memory they know that but hmm. but at the same time there's the the, the entire purpose of a of a of this viral swarm is to overcome the natural deficiencies because it's not a DNA virus. So, um, and because there's this variation, the, I, like I went through on one of your streams or multiple of the streams and, and showed that the literature that he's not talking about actually shows that when you, when you sequence the swarm and when you sequence it over time, there's much less variation actually occurring because the proportion, because whatever the master variant is, whatever the, whatever the dominant variant is, is very difficult to overcome that. Mm -hmm. He's, he would say that this replication, the, 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 this incompetence occurs because all these different differences start to appear. But, but what we see in nature is that the, with coronaviruses in particular, is that they're more stable than that. It, it it's much harder for a a minor variant, even if that minor variant is more capable. It's it still has to reach a certain threshold before it can actually overcome mm -hmm. the dominant swarm. So even if they even if it's a perfect like virus that can do everything that you want it to do, it can only get to a dominant position if it's able to get enough of a foothold because there's less variation with coronavirus swarms. So he's just, I mean, per the literature, he can't make, the, he can't support the claims that he's making. And but look, all, it's, it's, it's all a his fair... claims come from these basic points. And that's it's the a... problem is when, you're, when your foundation a... is weak. It's a fair point to be critical of the literature. Right, and in the current, in, in the critical, and his argument was that Eddie Holmes was the author of some of those papers. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay, 
but is everything that Eddie Holmes has ever written is a lie? I mean, is everything that J.C. Cooey has ever written true? I don't know. Mm. But, but science, the whole purpose of science is that it's repeatable. And when you go back and look at the literature, unless everybody's faking it, at least some of the literature is true. Mm. Yeah. And, and the, the, the difference in here is, is that the literature matches the data that we're seeing. Yeah, he's trying to argue. So you know, the lab is an abstraction of the the real world, right? We see a complex real world, and we you know, we have a lab to sort of control for variables and try to make intelligent assumption, not assumption, hypotheses about uh, a natural phenomenon. And um, sometimes it gets it wrong, but you know, I would say modern science at least has. You know, they, they're getting to this point where, yeah, you know, a lab in Tokyo is going to spit out pretty much the same data as a lab in New York or London, for example, um, with the caveat that there's there's always statistical um, variability. Well, let's 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 hear him get more butthurt. Okay. okay. <laughs> but again, I'm stressing the fact that. If our best enzymes cannot copy from a DNA sample to make a relatively pure copy of it, then how can he argue that the proteins from the virus can make perfect copies of the virus when all examples of cloned viral signals don't make perfect copies of themselves, even the best case scenario, they don't. He's arguing, it seems, that the clones are the same as wild viruses rather than being as good as it gets with regard to wild samples, and still they aren't culturable. They aren't self-sustaining. They peter out very quickly. As we see in those nanopore experiments, they barely make any full copies of themselves. And again, that I, that's a straw man argument about the nature of the infectious cycle, right? You would, I don't what was the analogy? Like a car factory, right? You would have, whole tons of parts available to you and if you looked at the car factory you would say well there's only 10 cars per hour but there's a thousand manifolds for exhaust available and wiring looms etc they've got to have those available to sort of put the you know converging down to make the finished product um, i think it's a straw man argument that he's making there Now, again, I'm open for this to be clarified, but it seems to be weird to me. <laughs> that I'm not so sure about, but... <clears throat> to use this level of condescension in the second tweet already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Um, that, that comes off as uh, lack of uh, <laughs> self-awareness, I guess. It gets better. It gets better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when in reality it seems like there's some disconnect in terms of how he understands this process might have been applied and it goes on because he's out of the gate wrong on the fidelity topic and anyone can google the error rates of these enzymes so again just trying to get the reader to dismiss me rather than making a phone call sending an email he's been on my stream multiple times we've been on a stream with john bodwin together where he brought up none of these issues 
So it's very, to me, very dubious to pull this on Twitter. Uh, uh, so is Kevin McKernan his, his uh, agent now, part of Scooby-Doo. All right. All right. So uh, I think, um, because I, I what think it, if Christy, uh, if he knew of Christy, she would be an agent too, but I don't think I've he, already been called a psyop in a spook. Okay. Think, yeah, you're definitely a psyop, so... <laughs> Let me clarify that. Right that tweet now. got like forty thousand views. We think we talked about that. It might be up to sixty thousand now. <laughs> oh wow! Jay called you a psyop in the spook. No, well, behind the scenes, we'll talk about it. Oh, okay, I'm over it. But, oh, oh, I got called alcoholic, drug user, baby killer, murderer, psyop, a nurse. That was a new one. That's actually uh, nurses take a lot of, lot, a lot of stuff. So that was, yeah. But yeah, I got called the psyop. PSYOP nudge unit uh, spook CIA agent operative. Okay. That was like a you month ago. That's the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's low resolution on the screen, so I'll just read out the title of this, which is Review Report Corman Drosten Euro Surveillance. Oh, this is where they're talking about RT PCR. Oh, yeah. This, yeah. Is where, this is where he attacks him. He attacks his actual accomplishments. Okay. So the title of that paper is External Peer Review of the RT-PCR Test to Detect SARS-CoV-2 Reveals 10 Major Scientific Flaws at the Molecular and Methodological Level, Consequences for False Positive Results. This essentially is, right? Like to go, this is a guy who was on the very first objection to the PCR. The objection that he put forth was that there might be primer dimers and that the, the whole thing wasn't designed very well, which kind of implies that you could design it well. It kind of implies that there is something to test for. It implies that a PCR test could work if they would have designed it correctly. And so being in front of that narrative from the very beginning is notable. It's, it's, it's admirable. Ah, shit. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so th this, is, this is something that we've keeps bringing up a lot, right? So people that were early out the gate with respect to well, the main expertise have, have all been part of uh, the plant and Scooby doing people. We're all we're all linked by some I don't know CIA spook network, I guess. Um, well, my 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 complaint here has been that he says we should look at what they've done. Thankfully, I don't think we need to go as far into this video to see where he, he states these two things. But his two big principles are we need to look at, at what people were saying back in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And we need to look at what they're saying now. Or, or I'm sorry, were they right in the beginning? What, what were they saying in the beginning? And uh, I... I think there's a more important thing, which is, what are they saying now? Like, everybody in 20, we, back in 2020, we didn't have as many answers as we have now. And I, I thought everybody was supposed to and learn and do stuff. So the fact that Kevin McKernan was right in 2020, yeah, that's great. But he's also right now, and that's what matters. And he's going back and trying to find mistakes and errors and things with people and what they said, but he's ignoring 
he's wasting time while ignoring the important things because he's talking about PCR, but because he, he's been questioned by Kevin McKernan, now he's not going to talk about Kevin McKernan's plasmids anymore. And mm. that's a problem. Yeah. He's not going to talk about Christina Christie's part about plasmids. Why? Because, because if they're not on his team and they don't believe what he's saying, then he's just going to ignore it. And that's damaging, especially when you're in a position where other pe- you have access to people like RFK who need to hear these things. Yeah. That's incredibly damaging. Yes. Um, I just want to check we're streaming still. Chat's gone. Down. I just wanted to jump in and say I think the, the uh, Julie Sladden, who I talked to, and then Julian Gillespie, the Brownstone article, I think, was up to 800,000 views on the plasmids that McKernan discovered. Mm. And then I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not, but I will. Uh, the lipid nanoparticle article should be out in the month. So so they, so even if, yeah, Kui's wasting time. So hopefully RFK gets wind of some of that stuff. Mm. And actually, just for this stream, um, just explain to people the lipoplex. Um... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like I could, uh, I don't know where my, li- I have a nanoparticle I made. <laughs> so I made a nanoparticle. People people email me and said their grandmas are reading the Substack and they weren't joking about it and that they understood it. Mm-hmm. All right, so. It's really good, yeah. The, D- the DNA. Do you want me to get out my drawings? Yeah. I have some. Sure. Yeah. The. I think they're right next to me. The so the RNA has a negative charge, and the RNA has a negative charge because of the phosphodiester, the, the backbone of it has the negative charge. The you know the other bases parts to it, those are supposed to be neutral. And then the lipid nanoparticle looks like a like a ball. It's a, like a spherical thing, or it's supposed to actually, but it's changing shape when they freeze it, which they found out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the positively charged lipids that are inside the nanoparticle are electrostatically attracted to the negative because positive and negative attracts same with like table salt mm-hmm. which i like to use as an example because you can't eat pure sodium or you'd explode yeah, you need enough, the chloride I, I had to explain this to my kids the other day um yeah, yeah uh just i don't know basic basic chemistry and um Sodium and chlor- chloride, chlorine, making table salt, right? And, yeah. Um, they, but they were like, "Oh, if you eat sodium, you explode." Like, that yeah, is, yeah, that's uh, good. Absolute good, good deductive reasoning. But there's <laughs> you've got a few years of chemistry to get through. Do you show them the exploding videos of like the uh, the guy who pours the molten salt into watermelon and explodes? Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're all over that stuff. It's uh, <laughs> it's I don't know when they learn they learn so much through these little like one minute clips, ten minute clips on YouTube. It's it's frightening. And um, at least the science. As yeah, as far as I can tell, um, I'm, I'm, you know, the more dangerous part comes in the next few years, right? It's the, it's the degenerates, and they start honing in on the degenerate 
aspect. Um, well, just the adolescent maturing and the problem is that's that's just being ultra weaponized at the moment that's why we're having these discussions right now about trans kids i guess and um the harms that are being i'm not having those discussions i mean publicly we're starting to have the discussions about the harms that are being done to children physically and mentally because of well this idea that um, every everything is equal and uh we can all put it under a rainbow flag right well you don't want to change it you don't want to change the subject too much of that because right you have to be you have to be talking to the expert on that as well i know i know so uh, <laughs> i'm still i'm still looking right, forward to doing that stream fat, not, <laughs> not brain warping uh so yeah, yes. I was in a room where the psychological study was happening on graduate students that I don't talk about a lot because I need to not be fully canceled in that arena. Mm. But yeah, I got all that recorded, all the psychological manipulations and the emotion, the emotional jarring that they're doing to students that they are. Uh, yeah, just to go on a little side tangent, I've had teachers message me. For those watching, I was wrongfully dismissed at the end of the psychology university program. Some people call me the James Esses of the United States. If you follow that, I recorded for 10 months undercover with wireless audio and video of multiple professors, including one who's a woman who identifies as non-binary trans mask, uh, ignoring core curriculum and getting students to share their trauma and their personal stories or grade and saying if you didn't you failed the class and that she wasn't going to share it with anyone so we had to submit it and then the next couple of classes she said now share she pitted students against one another i found she had a dissertation which included an experiment to quote uh raise the emotions of students and keep them within a window of tolerance in order to effectively change their identities but it was through the sharing of memories that are painful and then and then talking about there's no such thing as a woman, pedophilia should be accepted, white women should be raped by black men, that that's fine, uh, <laughs> heterosexuality should be combated and is oppressive, and I've got all the lecture slides and the recording and the video, and it's uh, 10 months of it, but yeah, I don't yeah. Know I'm an expert, I just lived through that crap, and now uh, I'm just going to say it, I'm, yeah, I don't know why I have to preface that, because I don't know if I'm allowed to, Abigail Schreier is coming out with a new book, she interviewed me back in September. She asked if she could use my name, and I gave her all the materials, so hopefully it all goes in it, and then I have my own court case with that. But, mm. yeah, we got to see firsthand what's happening in some of those schools, and I've had teachers reach out, even for kids under 18, not in university, that they are forcing kids, teachers without, you know, they're not, psych, they're not therapists, mm. but they're having them journal their earliest memories and then bringing up emotions and then they're tying that into the diversity inclusive training shit. Wow. Yeah, that's that's full on well, Bolshevik brainwashing. Brainwashing. Yeah. yeah. Techn techniques. Um, oh, hey, Lipoplex. Yeah, well, Lipoplex. It'd, yeah. it'd be really quick. Yeah. yeah. The RNA is positive. The, like, here's my little drawing of the lipid nanoparticle and the, the little the little S is the RNA, and then there's the pegylated on the outside of the sphere, and then there's cholesterol in there, and then lipids that are not charged that will be charged once they reach a lower pH inside the cell. So some of those lipids 
hanging out in there don't have a positive charge yet, but once they enter the cell, they will. But then the positively charged ones are bound to the negatively charged RNA. So when the plasmids enter the, the process, they're not entering later because they're in the stage of where the RNA comes from the plasmids themselves. So if they didn't purify them out, which Kevin has found, and I think other people have confirmed now, you know, they go, they're supposed to start off like just in basically a soup of the RNA, the lipids, like this is a crude drawing, but I don't know if they're forcing it. There's this T-shaped tube where they actually self-assemble, where they mm. force the, the lipids with the RNA all in one batch. And then as it self-assembles, the, you know, it just, it just forms into that thing. It's it's actually kind of cool. But if the plasmids entered into, which those are a circular structure, and I just want to say, Kev, too, like a lot of people are talking about gene therapy. This isn't gene therapy because that's directed. This is worse. Mm -hmm. The starter plasmid with, uh, you know, can replicate itself up to 200 times with hey, antibiotic hey. resistance and a SV40 hey. promoter landed. Can I intervene here for a second? Can you guys hear me? Um, Mm. Apparently, Kevin's still sharing his screen, so people can't see your screen, Christy. Oh. Because uh, Kevin, Kevin's still doing screen share. So oh. like, so you're showing up as really, really tiny right now. Uh, oh, oh. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Should I like, start over real quick? Yeah, yeah that may, may be a uh, good... Um, let me... But it's a very specific... Right. Let me try and stop the screen share. <clears throat> Sorry, yeah, you were right in the groove too. I don't want to interrupt you, but they kept kept saying it in the chat. So uh, I don't, I don't see the chat moving that much. So, um... well, it was on Discord. It was on Discord. Oh, okay. Not many people like here this time of day. Okay, so you, you, people can see you now. I'm watching the stream. So, so just to go back, there's the, the there's a lipid nanoparticle. It's a spherical shape. The little black balls on the outside represent the pegylated lipids. Those have, uh, they hold it. They're actually, they get a lot of crap, a lot of shit, but they're actually maybe one of the least harmful parts of this whole thing, even though people are focusing on it. Mm. It it causes uh, stability, so you have a lower chance of breakdown, and that's where a lot of the issues we're seeing with the other adverse events is when the thing breaks down. But the bad part that it does, it it does allow for the immune system not to recognize it when it enters the body. So that's the, the sneaky part of it. Mm. And then on the inside is the RNA, which is the S, which we talked mm. about having a negative backbone. And then the positively charged lipids are surrounding it and attracted to it because positive and negative attract. So uh, the next photo I was going to show is when the DNA, which is a circular plasmid, you know, that's it's, you know, gene therapy would be if you targeted a specific gene and then you knocked out, you did what's called knockout or homologous repair, and you used what's called guide RNA, which is the, it tells the the CRISPR where to go and to take it out. So I don't like the phrase gene therapy, I don't but, you know about you guys, because that's a fucking starter plasmid. That is not, that that is really bad. That's like far worse. Like gene therapy would have been better, not to say there was something better, but like that's, that's a starter plasmid. The starter plasmid has is more electronegative than the RNA because it has. Uh, I had the calculations in the substack and did the math on the number of mm. the phosphor bonds in that. 
But when the original lipid nanoparticle is made without the plasmids, you know, it's just it's just all in a in this liquid, and it just all gets forced together with the RNA and all the lipids, and then it self-assembles, which is really cool. But when we talk about lipoplexes, so that if the plasmids did not get separated out, which Kevin found, and I think others have found, and and it's in there by 30% volume. You, you know, here would be the, the plasmid, there's the RNA, and there's all the other lipids, and they're just coming together in the soup. So you've got two two things that are going to happen possible. Number one, you've got a, a new a new lipid nanoparticle lipopolyplex. So now you've got the, and this is in the substack for anybody watching in my profile, even if I don't follow you back, like you can just click on it and it's in the lower part of the main substack. So now you have plasmids on the inside and the RNA and the positively charged particles. But then what, when that enters the cell and this breaks open, this is still going to, the D, the nucleus is going to recognize that because we, like Kevin McKernan talked about a nuclear, isn't there a um, nuclear transport? Oh, I forgot what's on there. Well, that's a, that's a bunch of, um, even the, uh, the RNA. So around the furin cleavage site is a nuclear translocation signal, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um, there's many, there's many potential sequelae, biological, unintended biological consequences that I could see from getting in plasmid into the body. And the worst I'm thinking is that if the plasmids get um, taken up by the biome of the body, such that bacteria start replicating them. In essentially a, an infinite loop, and you've got you've basically the bacteria then become the source of spike protein consistently until you take out those bacteria. And if you've got uh, antibiotic resistance genes in those plasmids, that makes your job even harder to get rid of them. So, um, well, and once again, it's another source of near-perfect copies. Mm -hmm. There are yeah. two other things, though, when you talked about, because there's a, a lipoplex and then uh, a lipopolyplex. So the, the one option it can have is if it enters the lipid nanoparticle and it's got all the lipids around it. Mm -hmm. But the other option it can have is where it's just the plasmid without the RNA and then it's surrounded by positively charged there's my quick drawing like that's crap mm. sorry like just now like it would be surrounded by the positively charged lipids and then you know that could form its own like my cell mm -hmm. and then when when so if that happens and it doesn't have so that means it would be you know we talked about sodium and chloride sodium is positive one chloride is negative one and then it's a neutral molecule and these lipid nanoparticles are supposed to, by Pfizer's own measurement internal document, which actually McKernan sent me, I think via Sasha, they measured the the electrostatic charge on the outside of the particle, and then there's a net charge as well. And the positively charged lipids, when you add like the amount of the negative, which is kind of a crude, that's not the exact scientific way you do it, but... It's meant to go to the liver and then get dispersed. 
But if it's a polyplex, it's going to have a super high negative charge because there aren't as many positive lipids, and that is so highly electronegative. Then uh, the studies by Precision Nanosystems, who make this shit, they've got a webinar on YouTube that I have linked up to in the Substack. Uh, if it's negative, it's going to leak into the vascular and go to the heart in the in the vascular system, and it wouldn't matter. Like uh, John Campbell, who I, I think he was saying, if you aspirate, that it wouldn't go into the mm. the blood vessels. Like that's not true because if it's got a negative charge, it's going to mm. attract to the platelets in your blood, and then that is going to cause rapid entry into the heart. Mm. And then if it's uh, if it doesn't have RNA or uh, a DNA plasmid in it, it's just positively charged, that's going to go to the lungs. And then there's studies that show that those also cause clots. And then what you said, Kevin, was super interesting because Dr. Hazen was saying ah, there was like a lack of bacteria in the guts. And then yeah. I found a study that complemented her study that says overexpression yeah. of E. coli will cause them to pretty much commit Harry Carey and they'll kill themselves to mm. try to save themselves. Yeah, I want to say hers, the, it's not E. coli, it's... Um, Bifido. Yeah. Yeah. Difficile um, or not difficile? No, they're, they're normal. Uh, um, they're part of the gut biome yeah. normally, but uh, at the... I want to say, yeah, probably bifidus, but it wasn't E. coli. Which are part of these biomes? She should really test that, though, because if E. coli is doing it, other bacteria might be as well. And then well, Isn't E. coli what they're using for the plasmids? Yeah, but it's also in our guts. Mm, right. And I, I would I would make the presumption that other bacteria use plasmids as well. It's not just E. coli. There's a, um, it seems to be a... Uh, well-established mechanism for horizontal transfer of genetic material. Now, maybe like they... Pseudomonas. Yeah. Like, sorry? Uh, Pseudomonas aeruginosa that we've talked about. Uh, In the lungs, right? We're talking about that. Um, that's the mold? The, the... Well, so basically, this is yet another mechanism of where if you get sick with SARS-CoV-2 and then you're in the hospital, your immune system is already suppressed, so you're more susceptible to these things. And then, let's say you get an infection of Pseudomonas aeruginosa, which is one of the most common ones. And then imagine, on top of that, that you do what apparently was being done a lot, which was they would vaccinate people right as they were leaving the hospital. So can you think of a worse thing to do and take somebody who just survived a severe covid and then vaccinated so so people who who were recovered they were wow especially in the united states there's a different pathway charles so i mean interrupt like what were we talking about that that had to do with we've had so many conversations i can't remember okay well yeah we've had a lot because yeah but, 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 yeah, okay, so the cool thing, let me try and see if I can uh, make sure I've, I'm, the learning has occurred for me, which is the lipoplex can be, basically two things can happen. So you have the plasmids already in there doing all the stuff that they do. But what you're saying is that when they interfere with the lipid nanoparticle, one of two things happens. You have the, the plasmid gets into it, and can be turbo cancer, 
or the or it can do the opposite and things can it can aggregate and be doing super clotting. Is that a good way to explain those two possibilities? So yeah, it could go so it go inside the lipid nanoparticle because when it enters the cell and it enters through the, the membrane, like when it, it's on the outside of the cell, like the membrane kind of bubbles in the membrane itself of the cell and then it envelops it and then it, it gets released on the inside. And then more positively charged uh, lipids, lipids will become more positively charged when they hit the inside of the cell because of the lower pH. But uh, even, even when that opens up, uh, you know, the ribosome will be, there's the RNA and grab that. And then the, the plasmid though, yeah, I had just done some research and posted studies in my substack that not just cancer, but that there are certain, Kev, are we talking about this? Certain proteins that interact with the plasmids. Um, Shit, I think they're interacting with the intracondensates, and there's an article on how that would cause viral reactivation. Uh, and I, then I, if, I don't remember this, but um, it sounds cogent. I, I found the studies to back that, and then the dead box proteins for the cancer, but then also there's the DNA plasmids don't have to enter the nucleus to, to do harm and interact with... Um, tons of different proteins. And then if the DNA plasma does not enter inside the lipid nanoparticle, just by force of attraction, it should be surrounded by some of the positively charged particles. And then it's its own little, it's its lipoplaques. And then if it has a higher, it should have a higher negative charge because that plasmid, I think I looked up of, uh, just off the top of my head, was that like 4,000 base pairs of uh the mm -hmm. Moderna one, and then when you calculate the, the phosphorus right. and that, the electronegativity was mega high. So that's going to be a really negatively charged thing. And then the studies showed if you even in, inject intramuscularly uh, precision nanosystems, intentionally manipulated the ratios of positive to negative, where they had a neutral lipid nanoparticle, then they had some that were more positive, where they exited the RNA from it, and then they had mm -hmm. ones where they loaded more RNA to make it more negative, and then they tracked where it went in the mouse bodies, that the positive ones went right to the lungs, mm -hmm. the neutral went to the liver, highly negative leaked right into the vascular, and that was what was causing a lot of the severe adverse events, and then, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, we're up shit's quick. Yeah, um, none of it sounds... And then well. I found a study about positively charged lipids, but maybe that's for another show that... Uh, can lead to cancer, and there's a pathway for that. So basically, multiple pathways, regardless. So unless it's so, even if it's perfect, it's not going to be great. But because there's so much plasmid that's remaining in these vials, so much more than you were expecting, that the the statistical probability of this stuff occurring is mega high, especially when you when we when we know that they're not that state the lipids themselves aren't that stable mm. and so there's going to be a percentage of percent of breakdown over time mm. yep and well it's it's another thing to add to a growing list of just fundamental biological concerns i have around this that uh, you know 
facto biowarfare, Commander Rixie. Well, that's why I think that's why I think what, what Kevin found that this plasmid stuff that Kevin was talking about and, and then the lipoplex that what Christie's been talking about, the combination of those things on top of everything else mm. makes this and the fact that it was all brand new, like it's it's hard not to see that as even if it's unintentional, as as binary isn't the technically right term, but it's the best one that we have. Or, or like a two-stage weapon would be the better term. Yeah. How did QA let it slip out the door? That's how I want to know. So Hang on, I, I just want I just want to check we're streaming because Rumble may be struggling. Oh, hey, uh, you guys are going to be on Richie Allen. Is that correct? I hope so. Um, yeah, it looks it looks like maybe Rumble has failed. What? Oh. So is it just us? It's just us. It's probably going out to Twitch. No, I don't think so. Because, like, when I... I now I'm really up, the, the, cam the cameras are frozen, though, so I'm not... Hang on, let me just see if I can hear sound. Can they hear us? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's, sound, there's sound, but the image has frozen. Um... um let me let me just try something. Stop sharing. All right. So so the sound is going through. So people have been able to listen to the discussion. I'm not sure at what point. Um, let's just see if it kicks back in the cameras right now. I think it might have been a Skype. I'll turn off my camera just to see if it's. Uh... Uh, I can I can load it each time. So. It's sort of glitching. Yeah, it's a, it's a few minutes behind. I'm hoping it's going to sort itself out. Um, I'll keep an eye on it right now. If it doesn't, um, we, we can maybe sort of wrap it up because we're stretching the tech to to its limit in this. Well, I mean, and the fact that we're both streaming from the same location, maybe mm. it's just restraining the connection itself I mm. but uh, anyway um but no that's what i was saying is that that's why i think that it's so important the plasmid and the lipoplex the combo of those things it's really important to discuss them and to talk about both of them together because otherwise you end up if you're not talking about all of it then you're missing the full negative impact of what's happening Mm. And, and I, what what I've seen from the medical freedom movement is that I'm, I'm hearing an echo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit, uh, that's me checking the sound on the stream. Just that it should be gone now. I'm just checking another. Um... Um, but anyway, the, the medical freedom movement has really only been good at handling one new concept at a time, and we need to we need to fix that because this is too important. Mm. Yeah, the glitch seems um, across different platforms. I don't know. WTYL is doing better, but um, the sound is going through. Uh, now I've got, you're going to have another echo, but I don't know. I'm trying to get some movement in there, but um, yeah, we may have um, locked up everything, and so. Rumble oh, hey, was... I was going to say, I found studies that, uh, and I just posted the link to 
I didn't say it's my Substack, but it's uh, like I quote other people's studies in it and just mm. break it apart. But recently I found Kev um, studies talking about sudden infant death syndrome and zeta uh-huh. potential change in the physiology of cells and, and it causes rapid death and it's uh, caused by cations. And then I found additional studies that show cationic lipids can also lead to cancer. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Well, through interactions with protein kinases. Yep. So there's I big substack just posted in there. So so yeah. and for anybody, uh, I know some of my I don't know some of my medical providers are watching and people at the pharmacy. How's it going? I don't know about you guys, but. Uh, I decided not to delete my Twitter for all the reasons, even though I get fed up, but uh, there's medical staff watching and they are anonymous. So they're always trying to get tidbits wherever they can. Mm-hmm. But like you said, yeah, JC's like, like, like fight to discover stuff, man. And um, well, like I say, I think this, he's just thinking everything is fake. And I don't, that's a that's a very dangerous position in which to position yourself. It's like viruses aren't real. There's there's too much there's too much data and reproducibility in signals to to hold that position. There's too much data right now with respect to pathology and well, again what what falls into um, weaponization, next gen, next generation weaponization. We're seeing the fingerprint of it too too often to well, ignore then, it. I guess, I guess I would kind of just close with the fact. Oh, the video is back now. Okay. okay. Well, it may it may have been uh, us both using the same. Yeah, so I turned off my camera, mm. so that way it would save some bandwidth, but. The, the real thing for me is that it's it's not that that what makes me think that it's it's being weaponized is is the simple fact that they're still trying to hide the existence of these problems. Whereas if they really cared, they would be warning people. <laughs> I mean, mm. it's, it's common sense. Hey, this is a problem. This is a risk. But they're not doing that. Mm. Everybody is seeing these things happen. They're seeing the risks. They're seeing the adverse events. And they're still trying to hide it. So to me, I can't look at it as benign when I see awareness and still censorship. It's just, it's inconscionable. inconscionable. Yeah. And the, look, if, and if that hypothesis is on the table, it has to take primacy, primacy over anything and all else. You have to, we have to know that that's not the case in order to proceed. Correct. And um, that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing uh, very um, sophisticated techniques of controlling crowds. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we don't just have JC on our side. I'm glad we have people like like Kevin and so and is, is, and everybody else. Cause... Is there some, is there more that we need to pick out with respect to um, Jay's criticism there of of Kevin or? I mean, it's just going to be more ridiculous. Like, there's like five more minutes of it, but it's 
it's just more ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Well, it, it is it is two a.m. and um, yeah. you guys are driving in, in, like in the morning. Well. Yeah, it's not that far. Not six hours, but four hours, and we got a bunch of shit to do once we get there. And um, we well, still got a idea before we head out the door. Um, Hopefully, without spiders. Oh god, man! It's like. Uh. There have been some monsters here. Mm. And, monsters. Uh... monsters. Like the size, literally the size of my hand. That's, I, t- I told Christy yesterday or today or whenever. Oh. Well, we can, we can pull Mary in. So if a video is working, I can, I can pull Mary in. Um, but I need, I need to Skype Mary. Hang on. Mary? Yeah. Um, Mary Contrary. I've well never talked here. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't even talked to her yet. So... You guys uh, should um, talk. Hang on, she has been messaging me. Uh, just uh, I had to scroll down on my Discord, but um, let me just. Usually, I'm staying up late and. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if we could just pull to just to introduce you to the. I miss uh, I miss being on that side of the ocean. Like, yeah, because typically I'm. Well, it's it's like the complete opposite time of day for me whenever I'm talking to you, and now I'm stuck in the same house with you, so. <laughs> kind of obnoxious. <laughs> I can't escape. I can't escape like I typically could. Uh, what can I say, dude? No. Uh, at least at least I've been here protected from the spiders. That is true. No, what I was going to say is that I told Christy uh, that uh, last night I closed my door literally because there was a spider in the bathroom and I closed my door because it was so big, there was a decent chance that it wouldn't be able to fit underneath the door. <laughs> and that has never happened to me before. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to close it. You know, I'm just going to close it this time because it might stop it, you know? So, yeah. Hey. So it's been fun. Yeah, I have. I've never seen so many hunts, big huntsmen like that in such. Uh, Welcome to Mount Fuji. Everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I get big here, but I'm next. I was telling Charles, I'm next to a nature conservancy that's several hundred acres. So we get the big orb weavers with the big bulbous, like they're the garden spiders here. Mm. And then the, there was one. Holy shit! Uh, I calculated the velocity of my shot back because physics equations and <laughs> because there was a big I woke up one morning when I first moved in here last year and it it's it was hanging like I walked past the it was in the guest bedroom and I saw like this big dot like mid-air as I walked past and I was like what the fuck is that and like the the thread was like the thickness of a rope like it like Jesus. it was and then I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, I can't splatter that with, like, I don't have a big phone book. Like, I have big books. What am I hitting it with? Mm. And then I thought, shot back. <laughs> like, I calculated uh, almost 60 miles an hour is the airflow into my, my my awesome shot back when you calculate the horsepower versus, like, the, the width of the thing, right? So it wouldn't go in. Wow. Like, it was, like, holding on. <laughs> <laughs> We get big. We get big uh, orb weavers well, here. Uh, see, Kevin, this this is why I didn't use that bathroom last night. Okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just um, saying. 
I'll just see if we can pull Mary in just to uh, just to maybe reiterate the that, uh, discussion about swarm dynamics and um, once once oh. the plasmid is into the cell and begins the translation process, the um, the swarm dynamics kick in, but you still this, this is my understanding just well. I'm butchering it as we try and bring Mary in, and I'm just waiting for her to send um, a reaction through. But um, better, well, better to have a real domain expert in in their um, talk talking about these things than than me. I'm happy to talk about prions. And if look like people people sort of coming to me for preons i was the molecular stuff and the viral stuff i left that to other labs my my job was to see how they manifested at a network level in in real time behaviorally that was that was what i did i had to have a knowledge about these peptide sequences but you know there's the um I would say I'm very, very far from being a molecular expert on the the properties of amyloids and the the model systems that they use. I, I, I was in a different domain, and so you know people should keep that in mind. Still, let's see. I'm guessing she's trying because she's gone quiet on discord uh and oh, i've just been informed that uh the chat about Anne wajiki is the sister of susan wajiki was the ceo of youtube and it's the ceo of 23 and me it's married to sergey brin who funded the health research company calico under google when genetic testing revealed he had a lr RK2 mutation that increases risk of Parkinson's. Interesting. Um, the, I say, I, they were, um, I, don't, I don't know how to get a handle on these institutes. I mean, the private world is going like the, if I had a solution here is to make the universities more how they were traditionally, where you had, you've got to stop incentivizing the researchers in that environment that they're going to get mega rich to um, move move the department forward. We've got to decouple that um, that aspect of uh, academic research as a way of trying to save it, and at the same time, um, put a uh, a block on the uh, the mind warping that Christie's discussing. Um, yeah, I don't. I'm not seeing anything come from Mary, so I may. We'll have to. We'll, we'll have schedule to it for next time, and from from tomorrow we can be with more uh, more sophisticated streaming hardware. So. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the technical glitches will be um, 
squashed, I hope. So, yeah, if you guys have anything to say, respect yeah. No, I think uh, JC says it all himself. And mm-hmm. it's, it's getting to the point where we don't even have to comment because everybody can just oh. tell. No, I've just got Mary. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. <gasps> oh, man. Uh, I was just looking at spider videos in Discord. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> all right. So let me try and bring Mary into that conversation. Wait one second. And... Okay. All right, let's see if we can get Mary in. Thank you, Charles. I'm munching on carbs, so that's why I'm muted. Uh, yeah, no, no worries. Uh, I'm, I'm trying desperately to. Uh, hey, how are you? Did I make it? Yes, you're on screen now. So um, you're hang on, my other computer storing. But you're 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 here, and so I, I don't know if you were listening as to why we wanted to pull you in. Um, no, I couldn't hear. So we were, it, it was, so Jay is discussing the swarm dynamics that happened with essentially when you transfect in a plasmid and the, well, his premise being that they can't spread any beyond a couple of uh, links in the chain because there's a breakdown of the uh, the capabilities of the virus, such such that I don't know what they tend to mush genetic mush. I don't think that that's the case, but we wanted to ask you uh, or, or to comment on the uh, the swarm theory and uh, where Jay may be missing, and also introduce uh, <laughs> breaking the <laughs> thank you, Charles, uh, breaking the fourth wall there. Um, to... Well, yes, if you could just comment and to introduce you to Christy. Um... Hi, Christy. Uh, I see you uh, might be away from the computer right now. Oh, there you are. Nice to see you. You're on mute, though, for me. I was hungry. I didn't get breakfast, and it's about noon. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, um a virologist in the States and did a couple previous streams with Kevin. So my training is molecular virology and uh, my current career really crosses over into the, the vaccine space. So I've, I've been outspoken since the beginning against uh, the MRNA transfection vaccine platform. Um, mainly the, the most uh, critical features uh, that are detrimental in my opinion would be the biodistribution um, going everywhere in the body, obviously, to express the antigen, whereas traditional platforms um, like killed virus or protein would stay more localized to site of infection, right? Um, and then also the kinetics of antigen expression over time. Um, 
you don't you don't get that feature with traditional vaccine platforms, and I think that that is is causing a lot of problems too, with um, immune tolerance as as we've seen um, that information come out. Um, so the the topic here, I guess, is mutant swarms. I was a little confused, Kevin, when you said um, transfection. Were you meaning? So when they originally compose a new virus with uh, cDNA clones? Yeah, so we're, we're looking, may, maybe it's worth me playing the clip, the beginning clip again. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> well, just I, I want to make sure that I'm giving fair um, hearing to this response. So... I'm sure, uh, you see the screen, right? Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't know see if, a I, if I shared uh, sound. Hang on. Share screen. I will uh, state that I've directly discussed uh, viral swarms and how they work with JJ okay. um, directly. Um, he, you know, and he immediately attacked me for whatever reason. I don't. I don't know. Okay, so my presentation to the NCI, the National Citizen. So I think we need to go a little bit back from that. And... Oh, it's too much. Okay, so maybe maybe from about here. Mild mistake. This was a mistake from the perspective of he's just you know explaining it early on, and trying to be charming, and hadn't hadn't really explored the space of, well, what can I tell people about the infectious cycle that I know that they don't know? And this was one of the things that happened to come up and it's never been repeated. And the reason why was because it's kind of a detail slip up. It's a detail that we don't need, but is revealing from the perspective of what's really going on here with this, this idea of pandemic viruses. Keeping in mind that he cut his teeth with the retrovirology crew that included David Baltimore, I think you can start to see where I'm going here and where I have been going for some time. So we've met some resistance to this idea. Um, Kevin McKernan is a very well-respected um, molecular biologist who now has his own company that works on the genetics of cannabis and cannabis pathogens, I believe. And uh, he had cut his teeth very early in the Human Genome Project. And although he doesn't have a degree per se, like a PhD, his long multi-decade uh, sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, sash of, of merit badges is pretty crazy. Um, and so in that sense, we have to respect him as a, a molecular biologist, and I definitely do, I've had him on my stream a few times. So I found it kind of strange that he was one of the people that responded rather tersely um, to my presentations uh, of late and continues to respond kind of tersely to them as far as I know, although I'm not really on Twitter anymore. Um, and I find it weird um, because it's, it's, it's a noticeable lack of respect where I don't really think it's necessary. And in fact, if you look back at the stream- uh, Did you get respect, Mary? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to hear what he has to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just uh, he, he's he's butthurt right now that he's not getting um, the academic respect uh, that he thinks he's deserves. And uh, we've got a real life example of him not doing the same with you um, that you can testify to. And uh, just just to give people some insight here. Well, that's true. I, I mean, I'm not a scientist, so I don't really matter. Um, apparently. Um, 
you're doing better than him. So, all right. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. I have been right more than he has. Does that make me a scientist? Or <laughs> just, um, I don't know what that what that means, right? Someone someone who's just interested in the natural world, right? And you uh, either I'm on the side of Christy and of Mary and of you. Mm. That's the side I'm gonna be on. I, I think we're closer to the ground the ground truth here, biological ground truth. All right, let's let it play on. So, well, I can read Kevin's tweet. Maybe you can't read the screen, but it says, so this is the tweet from Kevin. It says, um, Jay's misunderstanding, uh, misunderstanding of polymerase fidelity. The moment the RNA gets into the cell, it begins the process of making sgRNA and behaving just like the virus. All of the cloud issues begin at the first copy of the DNA to RNA and the Apobec response. And that is, so when I spoke to you, Mary, my understanding that that's the same argument you made to me, which is that those, those dynamics kick in once that translation begins to take place and you have a fully functioning swarm. Um, okay, so we're, we're talking about live virus infection, is that correct? Uh, so in this in this case, taking a infectious or, or uh, the 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 vectors to reassemble a live virus. Yes, yes. Okay. And okay. yeah, so just just explain us through the dynamics of that and how it relates to um, swarm theory. Right. So it's a little bit different um, when you're starting with the cDNA vectors that will express the correct proteins and um, RNA genetic material to recompose the virus, right, um, versus coming in with a live virus. And the main distinction is with the um, vectors, their DNA. So you're coming in with DNA and, and moving to RNA. So you need a, um, that process to occur. And then in a live virus infection, you're going directly uh, from RNA to RNA. So there are different types of polymerases that carry this out um, that have different fidelities, but uh, all polymerases are never 100% foolproof. And you always are going to have uh, mistakes or here or there. Mm. I don't. I don't know the relative uh, accuracy of the two types of polymerase. The one that's used in in the cloning, uh, artificial cloning process versus um, the the live virus. I don't. I, I don't have a direct comparison of their fidelity. Um, so uh, the the principles don't change. So there there's never a hundred percent. True copy going on, so you're going to have a mutant swarm in either instance. And I, I haven't caught up on on what Jay's been saying all the time, but when I talked to him back in the day, based on his theory, no RNA viruses would even exist. It did, did didn't make any sense. Mm. So you you come out with a, a mutant swarm, but that mutant swarm then has to reinfect cell culture. So when we're talking about using DNA clones to make a virus, you've got a virus suit coming out, a mixture of viruses. Mm. Um, in order to use that, you have to scale it up. Um, so you have to put it back onto cells 
and begin to replicate again before you have any amount of usable material. Mm -hmm. So once you do that process, you're back into the normal state of, you know, uh, viral quasi species Mm -hmm. um, and various uh, pressures that influence fitness and what comes out. So um, what you get out of cell culture is not going to be the exact same thing as you get out of a person. And then this is goes back to why immunocompromised people pump out um, a greater level of mutants because their immune system is not applying the normal amount of selective pressure. And you get a lot of variations within viruses a lot of times with immunocompromised people. Okay. So, I'm not sure if that answers the question. No, it, it, goes, it goes a long way. And, you know, to maybe the people who are listening, if you were to take Jay's example of you're taking an infectious clone and in order to make the quantities where it was, it, it would have the high fidelity, he would be talking about um, transfecting the clone or the plasmid into a essentially a 200 liter vat more so it was they got them all pretty much identical taking that supernate and and then dispersing that virus and then and then you may have something approximating a what he's calling a pure infective clone but you're saying that there's no pure inflective clones. That's what I'm saying. Um, there's no pure. It's always a mixed population. The only way to get a pure clone is to take your output and do limiting serial dilutions and isolate a single plaque and expand that. That is in virology how we get an identical clone. That is not what Ralph Barrick's lab does. Um, there's all, it's always a, a mixture, and, but you're going to have a dominant population among that mixture. Um, you're, and then as soon as and that would, that would be because of essentially the cell type that you're expressing in, right? So correct. Yeah. So Vera cells would be different than say these, um, epithelial cell cultures that they have nowadays. Yeah, maybe slightly different, but um, a lot of it, it's going to depend on the innate immune profile, the the you know uh, interference signaling pathways. Uh, whether if they're consistent across the cells, there might not be as much change. But um, you're never going to have a, a single pure clone unless you sort of reverse it from your output mixture and isolate it back down to a single clone. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as you start amplifying, it's back to a mixture again. So you always have a mixture, um, but there is typically a dominant sequence considered the consensus sequence among that mixture, right? Mm-hmm. The most frequently occurring um, order of sequence. So if you, if you had to give a, uh, I don't know, layman explanation for why, why don't, RNA viruses just devolve into nothing. What's keeping them in um, in these clades that we can identify? What, what, um, what's capable enough to transmit between humans? Yeah, yeah. What uh, did you say, Joel? I was just saying, uh, what makes them stable enough to transmit between humans? Because that's ultimately the argument that he's making is that they can't, because they're not <laughs> replication. That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, that's the ultimate argument. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's not how nature works. It's just selective pressure, you guys. It's it's not a complicated concept. It's just selective pressure. So um, we as call, the, we need to take that, and we need to record it and repeat it, like put on loop. That's what I want to do, Kevin. Also, since you didn't see it, Kevin, hmm. I took this and pretended it was a mic, and I dropped it a minute ago. Whenever I uh, like after she finished talking the first time, because. Okay. Yeah, just because it was awesome. It's just I, thought, I, I thought that thump was another spider. So no, the thump wasn't the spider. That was, okay, that, that was me dropping it. But yeah, it's so simple that I can understand it. So it's yeah, good. I mean, it, it's it's not like there isn't detailed academic discussions to be had around this these mechanisms of molecular biology and um, the you know I'm look I'm a I'm a fan of. Uh, Oh, who's the morphogenic field? Sheldrake, right? I like I like those ideas in biology that there are levels of subtle communication in biology that um, perhaps we don't really understand yet. And you know, if that applies to a quasi-species swarm, that would be an interesting description of reality. Or, or you're wrong, Kevin. Oh, oh it could be you wrong. Don't I don't understand infectious clones. Yeah, maybe. But um, I don't. I don't want. I don't want to sh sh shut down academic debate of because that's a lot of the problem that we've had in this last three years. Is the no, shutting it's down. an important question. I think he's just taking it too far. He's not a He's pretending that it's settled science when it should Can just I ask be a question discussion. Mary, please. Mm. Yeah. Like a side topic. Hey, Mary. I I don't know if, if you were watching or you knew. Who I was, like I'm called Baby Killer Psyop, like I'm biotech manager RNA LMP. So I don't, I don't know, like the other side. I like what I just wanted to like ask a quick question because what you said was really interesting. And I pulled up a study when you talked about viral variants and mutant variants coming out of the immunocompromised population. And I just I just pulled up a study that was discussing it. And I was super curious. I don't know if it was just like a topic for another day or another time when it came to the, the recent SARS-CoV-2 and the variants that we saw in the study that I was reading was tying back to what you said was the immunocompromised population actually in part driving some of those mutant variants. When we saw like an explosion of variants, would that mean that, again, I know this is kind of like off topic here, would that mean that, you know, the immunocompromised, even though we were trying to protect them, that they they were... You know, inadvertently, they were like part of the, you know, the Delta and then when Omicron and like all this stuff kind of like went up all these areas, the like they a part so. of that. Yeah. I, I would say so. It's hard to tell, um, you know, without definitive data, but um, whether those mutants that come out of immunocompromised people would then be able to continue dominant circulation is a different question to me. I don't think they would just because they're an output um, in an immunocompromised patient. As soon as they get into a healthy population that has an intact immune system, I would believe that would be then restricted again. Mm -hmm. um, it's my personal theory that um, Delta arose from uh, SARS-CoV-2 circulating in, or wait, the Omicron um, strain 
in, in the rodent population, um, because what we've seen, and I work directly with investigators who um, do this work in, in high containment uh, locally here around where I live, um, the Omicron variants can productively infect normal mice, whereas the original SARS-2, you need um, ACE2 human ACE2 expressing mice. So to me, that was a definitive feature saying, oh, well, now the virus has adapted to be able to efficiently infect both rodents and humans. And so that was my theory about um, where that arose evolutionarily. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. Nice though, and, yes. Yeah. Sp- spillovers from rodents back into humans and, and such. It's just a highly promiscuous virus and it's, it's very transmissible. So all these theories about um, dropping clones, although they could happen, I don't think that's what happened because it's, you're going to take the simplest path forward, right? There's no need to drop different clones around the globe um, if you have a virus that can have effectively spread on its own it, it doesn't make any sense i said that kevin did i say that i said that uh yes that was the um it's just easier to make a virus that can spread easily and that's what they did <laughs> that's what they did <laughs> yeah. okay um, I just I wanted to add, uh, Kevin, I sent you some data that um, Omicron is neuroinvasive as well. So yes, I seems. had expected uh, as the virus evolved for it to become less neuroinvasive. And I haven't seen a direct comparison between I believe there probably was higher titers with the Wuhan strain. But data that that I've seen recently shows uh, high viral titers in the brain with Omicron as well. And that's in the ACE2 uh, mouse model. Mm, yeah, um, it's it seems a feature of SARS in general, right? That they, they, they mm. the, the first SARS, they were showing that it has this neuroinvasive potential and you know, what which particular pathway is is doing that and I, I don't think we it's know. Not, it's not unique among viruses. Either. No, no, no. There's, there's, there's a bunch of viruses that do that, and so you know, part of the streams that I've done, well, the last stream and this stream is that you can see where Jay is trying to go with respect to um, everything's an illusion, and and so amyloidogenic peptide sequences. Well, you find you can find them everywhere. Well, you can look and you'll find um, signals. It's it's where the what vector they would be on, and can they, can they get into critical organ systems? And so right. we're less concerned about um, I don't know. Think of a highly transmissible norovirus, for example. RSV, norovirus. Mm. Those those are not on the radar in my domain with respect to the causing of idiopathic dementia type disorders but the the ones that are herpes um hiv um measles is one um what's another jc virus funnily enough and um, also uh uh chickpox i think yeah so that's that that would 
Varicella Foster. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, v, I was thinking VZV, maybe. Or, no, that is it. Yeah. Yes, that's oh, a herpes. It's a herpes virus, right? And so um, that's when you get shingles, you find it expressing, uh, well, what's called a dermatome, right? And that's where it's being innovated by uh, sensory. I want to say sensory fibers in this instance. And it. Well, it I do, want, I do want to throw out here because um, because this is something I talked to Christy about the other day, um, is that it's this combination. The virus, no virus needs all these different pathway pathways. It doesn't need dendritic cells, so DC sign. It does and ACE two, and neuropillin, and TMPRSS two, and you know you can keep on going down. It doesn't need all of those things. But it has them, and, it, and in each of those cases, it has them in an effective capacity. Mm. Now, the, you, the virus would never naturally evolve, in my non-scientific opinion, it would never naturally evolve the need to do all of those things. But all of those things add to the immunosuppression, or most of them add to the immunosuppression. And I was just talking to Christy about this, where the, the furin and DC sign aspects of this the fact that they're they're targeted to the lungs, and the fact that they're also tied to the furin cleavage sites are also part of endotoxin A, um, anthrax toxin, um, all these other biological weapon toxins. Like that's when we were talking about pseudonomus in the lungs. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it, to me, to me, it's so ridiculous to to presume that. That any virus would come up with all of these things all at the same time and be so efficient and and but but at the same time if we made it with all these things but have it not be transmissible it doesn't like it doesn't compute to me that that's it would even make sense because that's the whole entire point of doing that is to is have it be transmissible and have it have all of these deleterious effects all at the same time so i've, I've discussed this a bit with uh, spartacus um here on Kevin's channel. So it, it's my belief that, so remember the furin cleavage site is just a, a cutting site, right? So it's yeah. just opening up various domains and um, it itself, it, I don't believe is, is the toxin, but whatever it's exposing um, through its cleavage is causing some toxic effects. So Do you, I, I don't know how familiar you are, but right behind it, as soon as it cleaves, the 13 or 14 amino acids that are exposed are the toxic elements from the Staphylococcus enterotoxin B. Like it's that specific one. The super antigen, yes. The super antigen, that's right. Mm. And that's, yep. uh, yeah, I didn't know if you knew about that. Now. That, that. That's really, yeah, that's exactly what I've been trying to tell people is that the fact that all of those things are together and all of them specifically are affected in the lungs. My another argument I've made is that that's how they that's how they increase the aerosol capability of the virus is by lowering the necessarily the, the infected dose necessary mm. to lower the threshold within the lungs mm -hmm. and a it makes it more transmissible via aerosol and b it produces yeah. a higher rate of pneumonia amongst everything else that it does so just my own hypothesis. Uh, well, I would, I would add to this. I I wonder if you know if if you were aiming for something like a 
uh, surreptitious neural incapacitation agent that you wouldn't want the pneumonia or the acute respiratory distress, right? Because then you're giving away that the, you, there's something in the environment that you want to be taking, um, paying attention to. Right, but, if, but if you want to create the panic and you're having a lot of old people get pneumonia, that, like if you're trying to raise attention, like, like, like they were exploiting that. Yeah, and, and if if you want to, and ignoring the fact that kids aren't getting pneumonia, so right. And if you if you want to if you want to set it up so that you you bring in the binary component, which is you gene transfect huge swathes of the population to then have well these yeah. these amyloidogenic peptides distributing around the body, and you know what Christy was saying about the. The charge, the charges with respect to the lipids, and you know how some can go to the lungs, and you know that that will apply to the brain as well. And um, you know, there's, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to just all be dark black pills. But in, again, in my mind, we have to, we have to discount this as a, as, as a, as something that's operational in the environment right now. And everything that I'm seeing points in the opposite direction right now. And I don't, I don't know what. Well, first, don't take the synthetic um, component, and you know. Well, you're going to have people that do get hurt still from natural exposure, though. That's the. That's the conundrum here. What, well, that's what what we I still be. think it's specific cohorts that are susceptible to that. Um, and in the healthy population, yes, we can be reinfected, but that's going to be easily contained, um, hopefully within the inoculation side of the lung and quickly eliminated because of our pre-existing immunity. Whereas certain um, elderly and, and health-compromised people um, may have exacerbated viral infection that then you know goes on into the brain and everything i know that that's debatable too because we've seen spike been detected in the brain of people with mild SARS-CoV-2 but mm. it's all a question of abundance and timing so the kinetics the magnitude over time so mm. if even if it gets in the brain maybe it's just for a short period in healthy people whereas um, people with compromised health, it, it exists there for a longer period of time and it's allowed to carry out that damage. Mm -hmm. uh, before I hop off here, since I'm in the middle of my workday, mm -hmm. um, I just want to reiterate, I have some uh, differing opinions than a lot of people out there. I don't think, I think a lot of people give um, too much credit to, to the design of, of the virus SARS-CoV-2. I think it it was not complicated. It was a simple addition to the receptor binding domain of spike to make a transmissible virus. And I don't think it was an intentional poisoning of the population. I think the intent was to have a highly transmissible virus that caused some level of disease that justified a global lockdown. And again, that's the end goal, was authoritarian policy based on a biosecurity state. And if it had off-target effects, 
to them, who cares? That's even more so to their eugenics agenda. And the same for the shot. They wanted to come in as saviors to the world of getting this vaccination, everybody to accept it. If there's some off-target effects, uh, that that's too bad. But we're going to call it a success, and we're going to move forward. This is what they, you know, the the cabal, um, I believe, had in mind that. They move on to the next step, which is, again, what you alluded to earlier, Kevin, transitioning into the digital age, coupling a biosecurity authoritarian policy with digitalization and um, complete control. So, Well, I, I, I agree with you. I'm just I would just add if you re- but you want to shepherd is the wrong word, force people into that paradigm. Um in inducing chronic disease in these people via these, you know, these protein misfolding mechanisms that just most people aren't conscious of. Once you're pulled into that medical system, then you're in that digital mm-hmm. um, dystopia. Yeah. And so um, e- even if it wasn't planned for, it still, like you said, it, it aids them in, in heading down that trajectory right now. And um all all levels are weaponized right now that's that's how people have to see this and um they're playing a they're playing a deadly game at, at whatever hey, would you guys level. agree about i was gonna ask mary to sorry kev that sure. uh when i was in school for pharmacy i remember talking to my preceptor and we were talking about what's coming around the corner for drugs and he said you know we're we're basically moving horizontally at this point, and the only next leap forward is going to be biologics. Mm-hmm. I think we were looking at uh, like factor, like we had a factor order come in. I think when we were talking about that, and uh, yeah, every project I worked on that we were talking about earlier was small cohorts of 50, 60 kids who have severe genetic disease or you know something debilitating where their plan A is suffering or early death or both, and RNA was never on the horizon for this scale and now because it's been deemed safe and effective like they just opened the wide the door wide open like i found a study that showed oh my gosh something like 50 to 60 percent of what they think is going on with rna and the animal model is not correlated especially in mice to what you would see in the human therefore the the mouse model is not even in you can't even like it would be worse. Like we, they're seeing things that not happening in mice that are in humans, but it's to a higher degree with the RNA platform mm. compared to even other drugs because it's so variable. That's really interesting. Mm. Oh, that's okay, good. That's so that means the six mice that they used, <laughs> LPN or LNPs. It was eight. Yeah, I was going to say it was eight. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a common problem, the animal models uh, across the board with science, and it's a notorious uh, for the cancer field. In fact, um, people joke all the time, well, I, I cured cancer in mice. You know, none of those uh, products are, are translational into humans, as, as we see. <laughs> you know? And that's where JC's right. JC's right that it's not perfect. JC's right that they portray things as true that aren't, and they say that sure. they can do things that they can't. But he's he takes it too far in assuming that they can't do anything when the truth is that they can. There is a lot of stuff they can do and we can't just. And we especially especially when it comes to harm, Charles, if, if you want to. Is there on the side of caution first? Yeah. We, we can Not screw things up. They can't. 
we can screw things up massively all the time, right? Um, it's what I spent my career doing. Thank you, guys. <laughs> all of you scientists. <laughs> Just, uh, it's it's stitching it back together. We ain't we ain't so good at, and yeah, we're we're being sold a bill of goods in that in that respect. So that's probably a good place of which to. Yeah, I think we accomplished everything we needed at the moment, but we mm. definitely need to have them both back on. Yes, yes, with uh, without the tech glitches that are ongoing. So, um, still hoping we're streaming. Not sure we are. Yeah, we are. We are. We are. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Christy was right earlier about JJ when she was saying, I did listen in for a few minutes and hence my couple of comments on your live stream discord, Kevin. But, um, it, you know, JJ's on target with a, a couple high level concepts. But as soon as he gets down to the mechanism scientifically, he doesn't understand the full picture and, and can't extrapolate what's truly going on. Mm. I know a lot of people uh, were sold by his immunology lectures. I didn't watch those. Mm. Um, immunology is a massively complicated field, and, and I expect he did a very high level uh, scratch of it that helped educate, you know, some mm -hmm. some lame people out there on the topic, which I'm glad for, but it certainly doesn't uh, make it, the rest of his theories correct. So. Mm -hmm. um, Kevin, you're right. You're right that I, I would enjoy speaking with Mary as well because yes, I like what she's she's saying things I like. Yeah, yeah. I try to reach out to you, Charles. You're just not responsive. I, I trust me. Christy said the same thing. <laughs> for a year you jerk yeah 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 you have to get i don't do discord that often i so. offered cooking <laughs> well i'll get i'll get the skype contact or whatever just so we can message back and forth through there because that and signal is pretty much how i communicate if not on twitter so i'm gonna say poor charles has had to put up with my cooking i've been here for a week so are you in Japan? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! yeah. No, yeah, that's I mean, cool. He, he's downstairs. I don't. Yeah. Cool. I, I don't. I was wondering why it was dark out over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you can see Mount Fuji behind me right now. But you know, he's downstairs. We've seen it once in the week. He just came at the wrong time of year. It's rainy season, and uh... <laughs> well, it's also Japan. So the sun's going to rise at like four forty. So like two hours. Yes. So. So we're going to go back to bed for a few more hours. And yes, before the sun will already be up for like six hours before we get up. So. Mm. Nice talking to you for a second. Oh, sorry. It was nice to meet you too, Mary. Are we following each other on Twitter? I've been trying to push. I'm you not on, on Twitter. Twitter. I'm not on anything. I'm on. That's good. Yeah. You, have to, you have to get into the. You have Gross. to get into the 